All right, and we are live. I am. Uh, this is episode three of uh, Black DeMarco's Community Podcast. Um, I am here with my friend Michaela Mac Jones. Do you go by <laughs> Michaela or Mac? Honestly, it, it doesn't really matter to me. I I think I started going by Mac because I hated my name for the longest. Because anytime I would tell people my name was Michaela, uh-huh. they would say, "Oh, I've never heard that before," and I would be like, "Transformers, Michaela Baines," or. <laughs> Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, and like nobody realized that Megan Fox's name in Transformers was Michaela this whole time. They just thought she was Megan Fox. So I never <laughs> wait. No, you're this is also news to me. I didn't know that. Yeah. So like I got so tired of that, and then I met someone at a hospital, and I mean not a hospital at a doctor's office I used to work at, and she said, "Oh, I know a Michaela, but she goes by Mac." And so I had just come back to Nashville after leaving for a year and a half, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, this would be cool if I just go by a new nickname." So I started going by Mac, and then. A lot of people actually liked my name, and then I realized that I actually did like my own name after a while, and so it's just kind of whatever you like. The most surprising part to me about that story is people had never heard the name Michaela before. It's weird. Every time I look at the birthday or the the names from every year, the list that they go through, mm-hmm. it's always Ashley or Rachel or Megan or something, and Michaela's at, at least 80-something if not lower, on the entire list out of thousands of baby names. So mm-hmm. I think that's why people don't even realize it's not that common. But I've run into so many people with the name, just the spelling is always different. Gotcha. Uh, not not to get into the heavy stuff, like, right off the bat, but, like, <laughs> did, you, did you grow up, like, around a lot of white people? Is that what it was? I actually, funny enough, because I'm from here, mm-hmm. um, but I went to, um, to Jolton, in first and second grade and it was a lot of it it was kind of mixed but it was you know Jolton is out in the country so there were a lot of white people there but then when I went to Kings Lane it was a lot of black kids and then when I went to Granbury in fourth grade on to I want to say eighth grade I was around the same people from fourth grade to eighth grade Mm -hmm. and surprisingly I went to school with a lot of black people white people Kurdish people I was surprised when I got to high school out in Franklin and I was one of maybe 10 black kids in my whole school because mm-hmm. I was so used to just seeing Middle Eastern people. And, you know, it, it was just normal to me and Asian people. And then all of a sudden I get out there and I don't even know if I had an. No, there were maybe like two or three Asian people in my school. OK. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. I, I, I totally lost my train of thought. I oh, had no, a follow up question. <laughs> um, so you grew up in the Nashville area or in the city? It's weird. I I'm from Bordeaux, so like that, that, is that in Tennessee? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's in, so when people say North Nashville, they always associate like Buckhannon and all that stuff over there, or cl- things that are close to uh, Top Golf on into East Nashville. Mm-hmm. But Bordeaux is in between that area and Jolton. Gotcha. So if you go down Clarksville Highway from downtown and you pass through all, you'll pass through Bordeaux. You'll see a sign, and then. You just keep going through. You'll get to the Briley exit, and if you just keep going past the Briley exit, you'll end up in Jolton. Okay. Yeah. I, I've been in Tennessee since 2012. I, I, I only lived in Nashville since 2018, but I came to Tennessee in 2012. Oh yeah. And um, my my geography of this area is so bad. <laughs> like I don't know anything about it. it. It's funny because I think I thought I knew the state better than I do (laughs) because this is, I mean, other than living in Atlanta for a year and a half, I've been in Tennessee my whole life and I've only been in either North Nashville living there, Mm -hmm. East Nashville, Madison now, or, uh, in Franklin where my parents live. Yeah. And so I was used to driving around the interstate and doing all these things. And now that I'm older, I don't really go anywhere. And so sometimes I'm finding myself like, where, what's the interstate? Like what, how do I get to this city? And then when I start taking the GPS, I'm like, 
what the heck is wrong with my brain right now? <laughs> like I, <laughs> like I've taken this so many times. I don't know why I don't know where I'm going right now. Yeah. You, um, so that time when you were mentioning that you left and you came back, you went to Atlanta. That's where you went. Yeah. Yeah. yeah was that for music? I actually, um, I had just come out. And so I wanted to be somewhere that was more liberal and mm -hmm. Nashville wasn't really in, in high school. I, I still didn't really know I was gay in high school. I kind of th thought I was, but then, you mm -hmm. know, you just kind of brush it under the rug. But then as I started to come out, I realized there were not a lot of places here. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that play existed at the time or else I probably would have been one of those crazy ravers there. But yeah. um, my aunt and uncle just so happened to live down there. And so I went to go visit them and hang out with my cousin because he was going to Kennesaw State down there, mm -hmm. which is like a really awesome school. And they have a super nice dance program and a music program down there. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll live down there and I'll establish in-state tuition and I'll go to Kennesaw State and have my coming out experience. And then I got down there and it took me like seven times at the DMV to get my license. And then uh, my aunt and uncle had separated by that time. But by the when they started separating, I had started dating somebody who was like 11 years older than me. Oh. And, I, you know, I'm 20 years old dating a 31-year-old. And I'm trying to figure out how to stay down there. So I went to one of those rinky-dink, like, ICDC college type things. <laughs> 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 you, you, you see the plug of it in between the commercials when you're watching Mari or something. Isn't it? Is it Romeo <laughs> that does those? I think oh, so. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's so, it was so, it was such a bootleg <laughs> school because I wanted to go to, um, what is the school that everybody, Art Institute. I wanted to uh -huh. go to Art Institute. And so American Intercontinental was what this one was. And it was <laughs> like, it was just the worst college you could have ever gone to. But uh, I went there. And then me and the girl I was dating broke up and mm -hmm. I had like maxed out my credit card and I didn't have any money. And so I was just like, well, I guess I should probably go back. Look, this sounds like the quintessential <laughs> uh, early 20s, mid 20s experience. Oh, my gosh. Like. I'm, hey, and it's funny because me and my stepdad, we kind of butted heads a lot because, mm -hmm. you know, he's a Sagittarius and I'm a cancer. So, you know, water and fire, we're just button heads. It it's my my because we were talking about earlier. My my yeah. mom is a cancer. My dad is a Sagittarius. Uh, oh, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah. Do you believe in all that stuff? It, you know, to an extent, <laughs> I do. I will say because um, I think it's more true if you look at your moon sign and your ascendant. Because mm -hmm. I definitely follow a lot of the Cancerian traits where I'm very hot headed and like I, I have a temper. You a lot. People will people look at me and because I have like. A Ronald McDonald smiles. I've been told <laughs> they they just do not ex assume that I can be mean or angry about something. But uh -huh. my girlfriend will tell you when I'm passionate, I just get very intense about it. Okay. But um, my ascendant sign is in Aries, and from what I read about that, it was crazy. <laughs> it said that people with Aries ascendant have trouble with their one of their parents growing up. Like they have an identity crisis with their parents because they don't have a good relationship or the father or whatever. I don't have a good relationship with my dad. And so that was weird. And then it also said Aries Ascendant kids are naturally more independent. I didn't grow up having a lot of friends because I kind of kept to myself. And it said that we walk fast and people always tell me I walk fast. And so then, yeah. So it sounds like you're kind of like, oh, that yeah. sounds pretty accurate. But, but also my, my moon sign is a Pisces. And so mm -hmm. that like my therapist has said that I am an empath. So it's like. You know, it makes sense when I look at all the chart stuff. And it's like, what? That's so weird. Yeah, I uh, I don't know if I'm sold on it. What I what I can tell you is that you definitely recognize patterns in the people that are around you. Oh, absolutely. And you know, maybe that's me reading into it, or maybe not. I don't know. Um, I think there are like general traits. I think one thing because you said you're a Scorpio, right? Correct. So one thing about most Scorpios I know is that they're all pretty chill. But the moment <laughs> you do something to like 
piss them off or you like fuck them over. I don't know if we're saying cuss words. Oh, oh, you know, yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. are all about some cuss oh, okay, words. Yeah, okay, can, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the moment you fuck them <laughs> over, y'all do not give second chances. And if you do give a second chance and they do it again, it's almost as if that person is dead to you. Like they will not exist mm-hmm. ever in life. Like somebody could bring their name up and you'd be like, who? That is certainly a Scorpio <laughs> stereotype. Um, we're going to get back to that later. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, you were mentioning butting heads with your stepdad. And we went down uh, a rabbit hole, hole, yeah, which we will do. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. To your point, um, me and my stepdad butted heads. But after I broke up with my girlfriend, I got my heart broken and, Mm -hmm. you know, I fell out with friends because I was going to some weird gay church and it was almost like a cult now that I think back up on it. It was a gay church. That's that's very Atlanta. Oh, but it's so Atlanta. But also they were trying they had classes to teach you how to speak in tongues. Okay, so then uh, this is really interesting. Uh, you did in Tennessee? Did you grow up in church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up Baptist, and then my mom remarried my stepdad, and we um, ended up going to an African Methodist Episcopal church. Mm-hmm. But then I forget I forget what my dad's parents are. They're they're some kind of Methodist mm-hmm. or something too. But yeah, I did not grow up I, like in my opinion in the Baptist church. There are people who speak in tongues, mm-hmm. but it's like. I th- I feel personally as someone who doesn't really gravitate towards any religion that that's strictly something where you have to be an anointed person. Like there's something about yeah. you that everybody can feel it. Cause I, I remember the church I grew to grew up in uh temple mm-hmm. pastor graves, um, God rest his soul. He, I like, I'm not a true like believer believer, but he had that passion, that fire. I still, as an adult now, think about the sermons that I heard from him, and I can hear his voice in my head as vividly as if he was standing right here. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when I started hearing about them at this gay church talking about teaching you how to speak in tongues, I was just like, that sounds a little problematic. (laughs) Yeah, my my dad was a minister. He's still here, but he doesn't really do a whole lot of preaching anymore. Yeah. And um, he, we we were Baptist, which isn't Pentecostal. Mm Mm-hmm. So speaking in tongues isn't really a, a massive part of the Baptist tradition, and you mentioned something similar to that. Yeah. Um, it, but it did start to pop up, like, you know, I was maybe like 11, 12, something like that, and all of a sudden people were speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And I think that had something to do with, like, all of the big prosperity churches that were, like, popping up. Yeah. But my dad had always had, like, a big problem with people speaking in tongues because, like, in the Bible, I think that I'm, I'm, I'm speaking as just a general dude. But, like, uh, speaking in tongues is, like, one of the spiritual gifts. Yeah. And I think there's seven spiritual gifts. I could be wrong on that number. Yeah, I, I don't know how many. Um, but speaking in tongues is one of them. And the idea with spiritual gifts is that everybody has an individual one, but not everybody's spiritual gift is speaking in tongues. Yes. Um, but... It is very, very popular, especially in like some of the, the new age, like prosperity gospel churches to have classes where you teach people to find their secret language to God and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that's one of those things where something happens to you like an experience and then it just kind of awakens it in you. But I don't think you can really teach somebody something because I feel like if you're looking for something, it's almost like watching a pot boil. <laughs> you know, you, you, after so many times, you, you just tur- go ahead and just turn up that knob so that it just hurries up. But it's like is it really going to cook your, your noodles the right way because mm-hmm. you turned it up? That, you know, that's, that's what I think. But to the point of the butting heads, after I did all of that and came back home, my stepdad and I, he had way more respect for me as an adult mm-hmm. because I had gone through that experience. So, yeah, I yeah. think parents always do. It was, it's kind of the same thing. Like my dad, I like, had a hard time when I, like cause I, I went away for college and I came home for eight months. Um, I'm from the Atlanta area. I don't think oh, I okay. mentioned that. But yeah, so I, I, I did the opposite of what you did. <laughs> 
Um, I left Atlanta, came to Tennessee, did the college thing, didn't know what I was going to do after college, went home, was there for eight months, and then I came back to Murfreesboro. Um, and he had a hard time with me leaving and whatnot. But I think your parents do like appreciate you being, you know, a grown up because the yeah. alternative is you just never leave. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's so funny because sometimes they have to kind of swift kick you a little bit to get you out of the house. Because after I moved, I moved out um, into the. 37206 building, like right in the Five Points area. Mm-hmm. Me and my friend had a little apartment there, and it was dope. And then after the lady who owned it said that she was going to sell it, I just ended up going back to my grandparents' house, and then I ended up back at my parents' house somehow because I was helping them with my cousin who had just moved back here. She didn't have her license, so I was helping them take her places and stuff. And and then they had to sit me down and be like, what are you doing? It's like you're regressing. You were out on your own, and you were doing fine. Even if you weren't making a lot of money and you ne- you needed to ask for our help, like – it's like you're not growing and we don't want you to end up like this, this, this and this. And and, and it now that I'm on my own, I mean, not on my own, but, you know, yeah. as an adult, you live on your own. And you start to realize, oh, OK, they were right. Yeah. Those are good parents. Um, we're going to get into the record in a second. But since we yeah. had this conversation about this church that you found in Atlanta, yeah. you're um, uh, just as like your faith is still very, very important to you. Not really. And that's I mean, I'm saying this on what audio and camera and my, mm-hmm. my stepdad's like running from for some treasurer office in the church. Like oh, he's, is he? Yeah. He's like, but I, I think for me personally, the reason why it's not at the forefront is because I think having gone through ch- different church experiences growing up and seeing the fakeness in everyone mm-hmm. kind of in all those experiences, I've realized it's more about your heart and, and what your intent is behind the actions that you do. You, you know what I mean? And sometimes I feel like people go to church not because they really want to be there, but because in their mind, okay, God saw me go to church, so I'm going to go to heaven. Yeah. But then in their everyday lives, they would see somebody on the street who's homeless and never give them money or they talk dirty about somebody behind their backs. And it's just like, you know, hmm. that's not godly. <laughs> yeah. I, I was curious because and a lot has changed like since – you know, maybe even like 2008. I think that's when I really recognized things changing. I remember oh, yeah. this was 2012. I remember Barack Obama running for re-election, mm-hmm. and I was in Atlanta listening to like I think it used to be 97.5, but I think it turned to 102.5, which was the inspirational station where they played oh, gospel yeah. music. And in the middle of the 2012 election, um, Barack Obama went ahead and affirmed uh, his support for the right um, for queer people to get married. Yeah, and black folks lost their shit. People called <laughs> into the radio. They called into the radio like in tears because like people were just so upset that like how how dare Barack Obama forsake his values and say that it's okay for gay people to get married. Oh my god, um, that that's so funny to me because I this is I tell people this all the time whenever they struggle to come out to their families because I had a really weird coming out experience. <laughs> like, it, it, I mean, it's not super weird, but my mom used to joke with me all the time and say, oh, you're such a lesbian. Like, you know, just joking around <laughs> with me out of the things I would do and things I would say. And you're like, oh. I, well, it, it was so funny because one day we go to the grocery store and I think it was because I don't paint my fingernails and like I cut my nails really short, which mm-hmm. at the time it was just because I had started picking up the guitar. So that was why I was keeping them short. But um. She was like, you're such a lesbian. And we were putting the groceries in the car. And I was like, well, maybe I like both. Because at the time, I was on the buy now, gay later plan. And um, then she said, well, just do what you do then. And I like, we finished putting the groceries in the car. And I got in the car. And we started riding. And I remember just bawling my eyes out. And my mom just looks at me. And she said, what? what's the matter with you? And I said, I just thought you were going to be mad at me. And she said, why would I be mad at you? Honey, there's too many gay people in the world for it to be wrong. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, flash forward, 
I had these coming out experiences with my dad's mom and you know, my aunt, my dad's sister had seen me post some things on Facebook cause I was talking about being at a gay church and all that stuff. And then, um, she told my grandmother. And so when I called my dad's mom, I told her and she was like, I know, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's okay, but I still love you. And it was just like, okay. Mm-hmm. And you know, they were very, they, they were the laid back side of the family. Like my dad's family, they would, you know, cuss with us and in front of us and play rap music in the car. They were just really chill. And my mom's family was just very, very conservative and like, yeah, for the most part, my granny did not listen to anything other than gospel. Mm. Neither did my granddad. And when I called my granddad and told, and I was crying because I didn't want to come back to Nashville, mm-hmm. and I told him that I was gay, he was like, "Why are y'all right?" And I was like, "Yes, sir." He was like, "Well, it's all right." And yeah, yeah, and it yeah, and it was crazy because I when I talked to my mom because I was gonna tell my granny, mm-hmm. and um, she said, "Well, granny already knows," and I was like why did you tell her? She was like, Michaela, she just guessed it. I was like, what? <laughs> she said that she got on the phone with my granny and um, my granny was asking what was wrong with me. Cause at the time I was really, really depressed. I you know, I was upset all the time. And my mom was like, mama, she, she's just going through some things. And my granny said, well, can I guess? And my mom said that she told my granny, okay. And granny said, uh, she likes girls. And my mom was like, how did you know that? And my granny said, granny just knows these things. My grandmama knows. Man, and it's crazy to me because, like, my mom's family was the one that was, you know, very reserved, like I said. And my my dad's family was the one that was a little bit more, like, liberal with their their words and things that they listened to. But the reactions were the opposite. Were the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so crazy because when I I would have conversations with my granny about it, her main concern was that because she was a nurse— she knew that a lot of LGBTQ people had emotional issues because of abandonment and, you know, societal standards mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So her main concern was me not being with somebody who was going to, you know, be mentally abusive or physically abusive to me, yeah. which was the crazy thing. Wow. That's one I, hell of a story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, how old were you? I want to say, because I came out when I was 19, I told my mom's family... Well, yeah, I told them around the age I was 20 or okay, something like so that. Okay, that's still a very tender yeah, age. Yeah, but then my granny said that stuff to me about being careful, you know, because a lot of lesbians have mental health issues, and which, I mean, it does make sense now that she said it, and me having depression too, so. But I think I was like 22 when we had that conversation. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell you what, because we're, we're, we're touching on a lot of things here. Yeah, let's, I'm sorry. Let, let, we're no, like no, jumping no, 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 this is great. <laughs> let's, 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 let's get into the record, and I'm going to see if yeah. I have the same kind of wisdom that maybe your grandmother had, because yeah. you have this song called Nancy's Dream, is what ah. you have. Is that about your grandmother? It actually, funny enough, it's about my granny, and it's also about Nancy Wilson, okay, the jazz now, singer. Okay, now tell us about t- t- just tell tell us tell us about how this song came to be because I I love this song so so much. Thank um, you. It, and I I'm interested on how you feel about it because like as somebody that also makes music like the way that people react to my music sometimes is very contrary to the way that I react to my own. Yes. Like, you know, yes. I'm coming into it like objectively is like, well, this is a song, either I'm going to like it or I'm not. Yeah. Um, having written it, probably done a demo recording it, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there are things about it that you either love and think that you knocked it out of the park on or would want to change. Yeah. 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 So Absolutely. we'll get into it, but like, let's, let's so tell us how this song came. So that's funny. You asked me that and how we segued from all of that. So my grandmother is, she was literally like a second mother to me mm-hmm. and she passed away earlier this year from dementia. But, um, late last year, actually, um, Nancy Wilson, I think it was last year or the year before last Nancy Wilson died. Mm-hmm. And it was very mysterious how she died because they, her family just said she died from an ongoing illness, mm-hmm. but there were pictures of her from, I think it was her 80th birthday and she looked really, really frail. 
And she kind of looked like she was looking at people but not really responding. And that's how my granny is, or Mm -hmm. granny was, excuse me, when she had dementia. And so I was like, I wonder if she has dementia because, you know, no, nobody would confirm what the cause of death was. It turns out she had a form of cancer. But, okay. but um, yeah, it was like after Dan- Nancy Wilson died, I was seeing my grandmother's health slowly deteriorate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was just thinking about how much I love Nancy Wilson's music because I didn't get into her until I was probably about 24, 25 or something. Yeah. And, um, you know, just listening to her music and how beautiful her voice was. And how she really, she called herself a voice, uh, a song stylist mm-hmm. because she didn't want to be pigeonholed into the jazz um, genre. Mm-hmm. But she really had a particular dialect when she sang. And it made me think about my granny because my granny was a very, you know, she was a very passionate, she was a true Aries. She was very passionate. If she was mad about something, she was going to stay mad. Even if you told her irrefutable evidence about why she shouldn't feel that way, she was still yeah. set in her ways and like she wasn't going to change. And she, but she was a brilliant individual like my granny showed me through my coming out process that made me love her even more as a person because Mm -hmm. she showed me that people who are truly of God people who truly say that they you know want to go to heaven and that they do the right things you know she was that person Mm -hmm. and for her not to judge me and I remember we ran into one of my friends at the movie theater once and um he had just broken up with his boyfriend at the time mm-hmm. and we were talking about gay things and my granny came and sat down he was like is she okay with that because i think in his mind someone who's an older yeah. woman would not be okay and i was like oh yeah she knows she's okay you can talk about it and my granny just gave him advice and it wasn't like a loaded anecdote or anything like that it was literally her just giving him sound advice and treating him yeah. like a human being and he respected her but it was just i don't know like my love for Nancy Wilson and her music. And it, and I just kind of saw parallels because I thought Nancy Wilson Certainly. had dementia, but that's yeah. kind of where that song came to me. She, your grandmother, she must've been and um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that she's not with us anymore. Thank you. Um, but it, she, she must've been a really incredible woman just to have spawned a song that is this, because like you, you never say in that song that it's your grandmother. Yeah. I just, I, I listened to it for a few times and it was just like, well, this is clearly somebody that's really important to her. Yeah. And it, it if she if she passed, you said earlier this year or last she year. She actually passed away in March. Okay, my, so I actually, like right when the the stuff with Corona started no, happening. Okay, so yeah. I I want to get back to the song. No, my my grandmother also passed in March. Like oh, as wow. all of this was happening, like yeah, we I had to I had to go to Florida and have a socially distanced funeral. It was crazy. We did too. I'm sorry about yeah. your loss. I, I you. know you get it. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you never say grandmother at all in yeah. the song. Um, <laughs> it was just like, I was just like, even before we were having this conversation about your grandmother guessing about you, I was listening to the song. Yeah. I was like, I bet the song is about her grandmother. Yeah. And it's funny because, um, in the lyrics, the first half actually is about Nancy Wilson. The second half is about my grandmother. But, oh, okay. um, in the first half when I like, or the, you and I start saying just an Ohio girl, she was from, I think it was Chillicothe, Ohio. <laughs> okay. It was some random ass town in Ohio. But, um, yeah, it's like you can read through all of it and the lyrics are actually talking about like I use a couple of her song titles mm-hmm. in it. Okay. I can't even remember what I said in the song gotcha. now I'm thinking about it. Um <laughs> the, uh, the part that always jumped out at me and I'm not looking at the lyrics right now or yeah. anything like that, but um uh dreams big enough to change the world or something mm-hmm. like that. I think that's the part that really grabbed me. Um so when when you write when you sit down and write a song does it start with lyrics because you you you're you're very much like kind of a, like a stream of consciousness kind of songwriter it uh, sounds like anyway um I don't know if it's that I'm definitely a stream of consciousness thinker and that's oh. yeah that's definitely why I have to have a therapist who is very direct with me 
because <laughs> my girlfriend will be like, yeah, it takes you a minute to get your thoughts out. And I'm like, I'm sorry. But um, it starts with the chord progression usually. Okay. So me and Ben, my um, my writing partner, my band partner, mm-hmm. he's an awesome guitarist, probably in my opinion, like I'm, I'm a little biased, but he, he sounds very different than a lot of guitars here, but he's, um, he and I will sit down and just go through the progression a few, t- a few times of, you know, what we want the verse part to be the chorus and establish that. And then once we get that down, we'll kind of, sometimes it ends up being a count of four on the demo version of the audio, but then, you know, we could end up writing, you know, two eighths or something, you know what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes what you demo out ends up being shorter than what you actually write. Cause mm-hmm. your mind just starts flowing sometimes, but we go through that and then I'll sit down with an acoustic guitar most of the time because the demo is just getting the fleshed out part of it to understand what the, the order is. But then once you get with that acoustic guitar, it's so much easier sometimes for me because it's raw, it's unfiltered. There's no, I don't have a wah going on on it. I don't have a phaser and chorus and reverb and all that stuff. It's just truly me and the guitar. So I can kind of feel like, okay, this is where I'm going. And we're trying to get more into that indie um, like neo psych kind of realm things mm-hmm. where we're being a little bit more experimental and intentional with synths and all that stuff. So this was the first project where we really started to get into that. Yeah. Um, we had a keys player who was with us and he was a little bit more R and B and funk like, you know, centric, mm-hmm. which isn't a bad thing. He was, he was a really phenomenal player, but we kind of held space open for him a lot to yeah. create and like add things. And so I think it, sometimes it took away from where we thought we were going to go with certain songs. So to touch on your point, like as an artist, how you perceive things versus Mm -hmm. the people who listen, sometimes they don't always turn out that way. But yeah, that was really my writing process for all of that. Well, uh, speaking to someone that's like listened to Basque all week, almost (laughs) exclusively, I I think you're you're definitely on the right track. Because like when 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 I think about it, like what I hear is like somewhere in between Sade Mama's Gun, Eriga Badu, and Hiatus Coyote. It's somewhere. I love like, hearing you say that because yeah. Sade is in my top ten. Yeah. Like she might be even top five for me, really. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I definitely hear it. <laughs> um, and I, I it can always get weird, like making comparisons or something like yeah. that. But that was one that I was like competent making. Yeah, um, I've been calling it uh, progressive grown folks music, <laughs> is what I've been calling bass. Hey, I'll take that. Um, and it, as, as far as like, cause like when, when I think like the, the R and B elements of it, um, are, are very, very apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when I listen to the production of this record, um, those drums are like real, real crispy. Oh, um, it's like they're, they're almost, and I know you like Tame Impala. They're like not quite oh. that crispy, but they're like yeah. right up on it. And that's, Hey, and that's exactly where we're going. Um, a wonderful producer that we work with on our projects, Nick Bullock, he, him and John Wood, um, they are truly just magic. Um, we, we're trying to work with a, a different drummer this time around and, and mm-hmm. just see what happens with this project because we do want it to be a little bit more rock with R&B yeah. and elements in it. But um, yeah, Nick is a, just an amazing producer and he really knows his stuff. And he's he's one of those producers because I hate when I get into a studio and someone says they're a producer and they're really just an audio engineer. Oh, yeah. And so we've had that happen before <laughs> in past projects where, you know, you'll go through a whole project or record everything. Mm-hmm. And then you listen back to it and you're like, this sounds really empty. Like we didn't really add anything to the record. It just sounds the way we brought it in. Yeah. And a true producer like Nick is our George Martin, Sir George Martin, because he truly just 
he'll listen to something and he's not afraid to tell us, hey guys, I think if you really want to release this as a single or if you want to do this with this record, I mm. think you need to cut this part out. It's getting a little lost in this section. Or yeah. what if we added strings here? Or what if we did horns there? Or we should do some synths, you know? And mm-hmm. it like, and he's receptive to us if we feel, if we just feel really passionately about keeping something in the song, he'll yeah. adhere to that, but not without first letting us know so I think that was very instrumental in getting this to sound. Where did, where did you find Mr. Bullock? A, a wonderful man by um, the name of Roddy. I forget Roddy's last name. Which? Uh, it's not Roddy. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's in a band called Waterfall Wash. Um, okay. I, I met his wife, uh, Elise, when I was doing um, Hot Mess. Mm-hmm. And then randomly when I started working at Service Source, I found out he worked there. Mm-hmm. And then um, I randomly ended up following him on social media and I was listening to his stuff. And we were looking for a producer at that time because the audio engineer that said he was a producer. Mm-hmm. Um, we were like, we're not satisfied with this and we want a different experience. And so he told us that he worked with Nick Bullock at Awake Studios and we were like, yeah. yeah. So we hit Nick up and he has been literally like family ever since then. Well, he, hell, I mean, he, I didn't like, because I didn't know anything about the production process of this record. I'd just been listening to it. He did a hell of a job. Um, yeah. That low end sounds awesome. And mm-hmm. I'm like, like, I don't really like, like, I'm, I'm very simple. Like, I'm kind of like a, either I like the song or I don't. Yeah. But dude, the, those drums sound incredible. And the bass, like the drums and bass together. Thanks. And, uh, the bass is uh, Adam Brooks. Okay. He's a, he's a really go- great guy. And um, he works with this guy, Lenny Pay. So. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Um, it, I think that you guys do, um, you do, quite a bit with very little because at least from when I'm listening to it there's obviously a drum kit there's a bass two guitars because you play guitar but then Ben also plays yeah. guitar um, you had keyboard player and the keyboards all over the record yeah um, and then there's a couple of sax- tra- tracks with saxophone what I don't think there were saxophones on this one. Well, maybe not this record. The, it must be the other one songs. One of the others. Yeah, gotcha. one of the other songs. Gotcha, gotcha. And, okay. and it, yeah, it's funny that you say that because you can truly hear the the difference between those first two singles and then by the time mm-hmm. we started, because we lost our keys player after we, because you know how you go in and you'll track the drums and the bass mm-hmm. and then you'll go back another time and you'll, you know, overdub guitars and all that and synth and then mm-hmm. you'll do vocals at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, we had gone in with our keys player, the to record the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. And then that was when we, re- it was right before we went in, he told us he didn't want to play with us anymore. <laughs> and th- yeah. <laughs> and so then we ended up um, going in and we just, this, so the stuff you hear of like the keys or the, the roads sounding Sounds like stuff. A on that, yeah, yeah. It's like a road setting, but the stuff that you hear of that, that's literally just him going in w- during the, um, the rhythm section and mm-hmm. we didn't have him redo his stuff over again. Oh, so, so that's okay. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about how yeah. it was tracked because like when, like talking about somebody who's an audio engineer versus a producer, mm-hmm. I think one of the hardest things about making a record is, is striking a balance between something that's like just live enough, but not live enough to the point where it's kind of like not polished. Yes. Or at least that's kind of been my experience. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, like, when, when I started Love Montage, it was supposed to be, like, it's a garage rock band. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're almost, like, 80% live. They're, like, the first couple of records that I've done, or the first couple of singles that I've done, rather. Oh, yeah. Um, and I like the experience of doing that. I don't know if they turned out the way that I necessarily would have wanted them to turn out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've, your new single sounds very, very great, though. Oh, thank you. And I love that breakdown, the bridge part, because it, it has a lot of that. Um, it's very indie in that it sounds almost like video game-ish with the, the little parts that are going on, the, the staccato parts. Is uh-huh. that a synth or is that a um, is that guitar? Uh, 
as far as the bridge section, there's still there's still two guitars. That's a guitar. Okay. I think what you're talking about is it is a guitar. Yeah, it yeah. is a guitar. Yes. Um, <laughs> but we're talking about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I was really curious on how you guys tracked it because the, the 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 arrangements are super tight, but they seem super live, but not live to the point where it's like this is they went out there and they left everything out there. Yeah. So it was when you guys tracked it, it was bass, drums, and keys. Yeah, so we rec- we record everything almost as if we're in a full band setting. So mm-hmm. he'll um, track everything out. The crazy thing is because we had practiced, me and Ben anyway, we didn't get a chance to really track like practice as much with Adam and John as we wanted to. But um, me and Ben, we had practiced so much together because you know we're roommates, and so um, it, we had just gotten it into a rhythm and in a pocket mm-hmm. at that point. So by the time we went into the studio. We tracked everything for the rhythm section, but he still mics everything else just in the event that he catches something that would sound really great. Because that's the beauty of working with someone like Nick is that he knows that there are times when because you're more focused on a different section than the guitars, you might let loose a little bit more and not be as tense. Because, you know, when you go back in and you overdub those guitars, you start Mm -hmm. to feel really intense and pressured and then you mess up the line and you have to keep tracking it over and over again. Whereas... He knows that if he keeps the mics on the amps when we go in and do that, then he might catch some magic. So a lot of the guitars were actually tracked that day because he was able to get so many great takes from us. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when we went back in, he kept the keys and kind of distorted them a little bit. And he would pan them a certain way so that they're not, you know, just overwhelmingly obvious in the mixes. But um, he has a Roland, a Juno Roland. A Roland Juno Six, Jesus, I can't, I can't. Very popular it. keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I have this really awesome pedal by Mr. Black called the Supermoon Chrome, mm-hmm. and it has a sway function on it, and that sway will just take it into a whole nother atmosphere the way he does it. So I think that's why those synths sound so like spacious and open is because yeah. that reverb setting is really, really cool, and that sway will like modulate it. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, let's talk about your musical training a little yeah. bit because you the the you you the, these songs are joint efforts. It's typically you and Ben. They are um, this time around. I I want to say I wrote majority of everything. We mm-hmm. we co-wrote Nancy's Dreams and then we co-wrote Limitations, but okay. the other three I pretty much wrote by myself. Gotcha. Um, but we. Yeah, it's like yeah. That answers your question. The, Sorry. the reason I'm asking is because um, the, you you seem like you have a really really good theory base, a strong theory base. I actually do not <laughs> read music, <laughs> <laughs> which is so well, funny. Well, well, what guitarist does read music? Though? Well, and it's so funny because I played guitar. I mean, uh, I played violin growing up oh. in um, well, not growing up, but fifth through eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, fifth through eighth grade, and. I wanted to keep playing when I got to high school, Mm -hmm. but when I got to my high school, because I moved out to Franklin, it was such a small school. It was in Rudderville unincorporated. That's how out in the middle of nowhere it was. Mm -hmm. And they, all they had was a band program. And so I would have had to learn a whole new instrument and I was already depressed. And that's when my, my depression started flaring up. And like, I really started having mental health issues and stuff. And so I didn't really pick up a guitar until I was 19. And the only reason I ever wanted to play guitar was because when I was in strings, there was a guy, Tyler, I forget his last name, but he, every year he came back to school, he played a different instrument. So he would, I mean, this fool was like, <laughs> I used to fucking hate him secretly, but I was so envious because I was like, what, you know, 12, 13 year old kid knows to pick up all of these fucking instruments. Like it, it just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. But, um, he, because he switched around, I was like, Oh, he, 
how many instruments does he play? And then one day we had a talent show and he got on stage and he was playing the guitar mm -hmm. on top of playing the cello and the bass and the viola and the violin. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that I think he started out playing guitar and that's how he got into it. And so I always wanted to play guitar. So I didn't pick it up until I was in, like I said, I was 19 years old. I just went to Best Buy and, and bought a cheap little guitar back when they <laughs> sold instruments there. And it had like another set of strings and a case. And I, I think I gave that guitar yeah i gave that guitar away to my friend keisha because she's a pe teacher and she works over at the lead i think that's well i'm not going to say it on on there but um I don't even she, know what yeah she works somewhere and she works with she works with students and um she was like they had a music program they had all this funding and i was like i'm not using this guitar and then she was like oh you can bring it over here if you don't want to sell it and I, I can give it to the school and so i was like okay cool so i donated it to school so somebody's got it somewhere but yeah my most of, I'm sorry, all of that to that, you know, train of thought to get back to it. Um, I think a lot of what I play, because I used to play by ear when I was in strings because I couldn't read the music. I knew what the notes were, but I couldn't read time signature to save my life. So I didn't know what a dotted half note, like that confused me. It was like, why are you doing the half? And then you're adding the dot. Like, what? it's just too much. So um, I always would listen to people. And so I think that's where I started to pick up feel a little bit more than picking up the actual logistics of it. Yeah. Um, and funny enough, you saying that about Sade, the first song I learned on the guitar was uh, Keep Looking by Sade. There you go. <laughs> Sade never left. She didn't. She She's stayed been in my, ever since. She stayed in my soul <laughs> forever. Um, guitar is such a weird instrument to learn because um, it's, it's, it's a versatile instrument. Um, mm -hmm. but the, 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 the history and the legacy of it, um, like when people think about like guitar, they think about like Led Zeppelin and they think about like, you know, Jimi Hendrix or right. something. Yeah. Which is great. Don't get me wrong. Don't <coughs> get me wrong. That's, that's, that's great and whatnot. Yeah. But it like when, when, when you're trying to learn the kind of music that you make, it's, it's almost like you got to like look under a rock and yes. like dig a hole to find people to teach you that kind of sound. It really is. I was listening to, a, um, or watching, why did I say listening to a run, a rig rundown with, um, Mark Spear from Krongbin. I'm not familiar. Okay, you need to check them out. It, it, everybody talks about how they sound like a Quentin Tarantino band. Like they, they, <laughs> they, like all their stuff sounds like what would be in a Quentin Tarantino movie. They just that just hasn't been made yet. Uh -huh. um, but he reverbs the heck out of his guitar, and mm -hmm. they're mostly instrumental. But he is one of those guitarists. Like he's just really fucking awesome. He reverbs the crap out of his guitar and. He's experimental, kind of like how Kevin Parker is, mm -hmm. because um, Mark Spear will take a wah and he'll half cock it. Mm -hmm. So if he wants to like go ahead and use the wah, he'll just, you know, it'll be ready for him to use it. But then he'll leave it in the half cock position mm -hmm. so that it changes the tone of it. Mm -hmm. And he was saying in his rig rundown that he wanted to sound like Ernie Isley. So, you know, it's just mm -hmm. like people people take from so many different genres and pull it into a whole different genre. And you, but we don't think about it because. The genre changes, but the yeah. style is kind of you know reminiscent of that artist and that different one. So yeah, I think genre's dead. Like I don't, I just don't, I don't know, I don't know what real purpose it serves anymore. I think it exists in the scheme of um, pop music. Mm -hmm. I will say that I, th I definitely think like alternative R and B that you listen to with you know Division and um, Victoria Monet and all that. That's definitely alternative R and B to me. Mm -hmm. But when you start getting into the um, into the stuff that's not played on the radio, like the Sunny Cologne and Moses Gun Collective and Temples and stuff like that. That's very much in that, like it started in one thing and it just kind of like they yeah. added so many different elements from something else that it, it just it's taken on a, a 
like a life of its own. Mm-hmm. So I, I've, I've given like I've given Basque the uh, <laughs> the, the the designation of uh, progressive grown folks music. <laughs> um, if you had to describe it, what would you call it? Um, I don't even know. I would like how they have neo psychedelic or they have just regular indie. I feel like we're like neo indie. Yeah, if I that feel, makes well, any sense. I feel like y'all could open for hiatus. That's what I think. I would I would love to open for hiatus coyote. We actually got to open up when we were we weren't in the bass configuration. We were in the um, era, and, and that's when you when you, right. me and you met. Mm-hmm. But um, we actually opened up for Moonchild back then because we sounded. It, that was when we started getting into that kind of mm-hmm. weird stuff because um, Ben just is a fucking beast and just uses really gnarly effects on his guitar. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we the fact that we were even able to open mo- for Moonchild, I was kind of like, I mean, we're not totally in the vein, but, I mean, I'll take it. And yeah. Yeah, yeah so. that makes sense. Um, if I had been thinking, I would have had you both on, but, like, this is... Oh, he's not even in town either, so oh, it's, okay. yeah, well, it there, worked. Well, there you go. Because <laughs> um, I, remember, I remember that show... At the spring water, which I guess that was that was 2018. That was almost two years ago. Just about. Oh no, it was May, over two it, years yeah, ago. It might have been 2017. That was over. Oh, fuck. What it? It could have been. It, it, it was might. Was it? Was it cold or was it warm outside? Mm. Because I, like, I don't know. I, I moved. I moved to Nashville in April of 2018. That was right before I moved. Like that would have had to have been like Mar- so like definitely on the cusp. It was it was cusping it from twenty eight so twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen because it wasn't like it, oh yeah 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 it was probably it was probably um, I think it might have been March or April. Yeah, maybe. But we broke up by then. I want to say oh, fuck, maybe by bullshit. the time. So it might have been twenty seventeen. I think. Okay. Wow. Then that's that's like two and a half yeah, years ish. Yeah, yeah. Um. No, I remember. I remember seeing him play, and I don't know what the fuck kind of like. <laughs> uh, pedal rig he has or so but like it like there, there's so many people that try so hard to like take a guitar and make it sound like not like a guitar yeah but like that dude's guitar does not sound like a guitar and, and, <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that funny like i think esperanza is the one that used to trip people up because he uses and if you the funny thing is if you look at his pedal board uh-huh. he doesn't use any kind of pedal that's not unique maybe the most unique pedal on his board is the uh h9 okay what by is that if, the eventide is that a, is it a delay pedal no, no, no. It's like one of those pedals that has a bunch of different effects in okay. it. And then it has like an app so you can kind of tailor it in the app as opposed to trying to so you can save the presets on your phone. That mm-hmm. way he never loses track of it. Gotcha. Because you know how when you have pedals that have dials on it, sometimes you fuck up and you forget what where your settings were. And you like spend a whole hour trying to figure out where you were the night before or whatever. But he's able to save the preset in his phone. But that's literally the only weird pedal that he has on his board okay. everything else is like a fucking Look. uh lines a couple of line sixes and like a digitech thing it's it's not even anything special but he just he knows what he's doing because that man esperanza that little riff everybody used to go nuts when we would play that at drifters because mm-hmm. they would just you know be out on a saturday night and getting some wine from across the street and they would hear the doom doom and it, like it it was so weird and he said that he just accidentally messed up and had his harmony setting on a on the wrong thing mm-hmm. but because of the notes he was playing against what i was playing it just happened to work mm-hmm. and so that was it happy accident yeah it was a happy accident yeah that's dope mm-hmm. a lot of emotional content in this music yeah um you're the the principal lyricist i take it uh yeah, now that we're writing, we're working on a full length now. So mm-hmm. now we're both writing songs and bringing them to the table. We we try to co-write. I think our styles are very different because Ben is a very, I, I'm a stream of consciousness thinker. But mm-hmm. I think when I end up writing on paper, most of my thoughts end up being a little bit more coherent mm-hmm. when I get them out. 
Um, but um, I think Ben is a very clear cut writer. Mm. And so his stuff doesn't sound like it's lost anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas my stuff, sometimes I'm just like, what am I writing? I don't even know what this is. And I have to scrap it like five times before it sounds like something I'm okay with. You've got this song. I'm looking at my notes here. I, like I made oh, yeah. notes. The, the first two episodes, like I was literally me and who whoever's sitting across from me, like literally just running our mouths. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was like, all right, let me try to get like kind of a just at least a roadmap of some sort. Oh yeah. Um, here's a song. I want to make sure that I'm saying the name of the song correctly. Give me one moment because <laughs> like I had other notes and I never transferred them to my notepad. <laughs> it's what's your name? That's the one. Yeah, and uh, I was listening to this, and I was like, oh, wow, I had no idea that, like, she was such a seductress. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. And it's so funny, because out of all five of the songs, that's the one that sounds the least like it goes with everything else, and you can tell, because I think I wrote it a little bit before we started writing everything else. Yeah. But, because um, that's the only one that's, like, straight up R&B, really, centric. It, yeah. it, it, it definitely reminded me of, like, more traditional grown folks music rather yeah. than the progressive kind. Exactly. And, it, and it's weird because I don't think that's one that I'm, it's not that I'm not proud of it. Mm. It, it definitely is a very catchy song. Yeah. But I think if I had to re-record it, I would probably make that one a little bit more digital and less live. Because okay. I think it's harder when you have songs like that. Because, you know, they just, like the second verse, how it, it goes a little bit faster and it mm-hmm. has a little bit more like, you know, and so I feel like. When you have songs like that, like I said, you, it, it just sounds better if you make it a little bit more digital. So yeah. it's not that I'm not happy with that, but I think it probably would have served more purpose had it been just a straight like we're gonna make a sample pack and we're gonna put that on there and throw on a little bit of a yeah. little bit of synth and we're done. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No. Look, I, I I totally get that feeling. Yeah. Um. Now, oftentimes we have a muse. Mm-hmm. Now, are these all about the same woman? They are not. So What's Your Name was like a random ass song. I don't even know how I wrote that one. It just kind of came to me because you know how sometimes you just get a, get a train of thought and you're like, oh, I can write this. Hazel Eyes is actually about this girl I used to work with at Postmates. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if she'll ever end up listening to this. She but, was like maybe not into you. Uh, well, or, he, well, here's the thing. It was like I couldn't tell if she, your cat scared the shit out of me. <laughs> oh, he jumped on that chair last time. Yeah. No, um, I couldn't tell if she was bi or not. Yeah. But then she started randomly dating this guy. So like if you listen to Hazel Eyes, mm-hmm. um, I, I say in the... Um, you said it's a quarter after five. Five, and I see you leaving in his ride. Yeah. Because yeah. she used to... Um, she didn't actually leave in his ride because he ain't have a car. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, she used to give him a ride to and from work sometimes, <laughs> and they would always come in together trying to act all like they weren't together because there were two different doors at Postmates yeah. downstairs. And so she would come in through one side, and he would come in through the opposite side at the same time. It's like, hmm. bitch, we see y'all. We know that y'all are coming in at the same time. But um, yeah, so that one's that one. Um, close to you, mm-hmm. the keys player. He had actually made a beat and I went over to his house and um, I wrote that one with him. And I want to say I wrote that one in like 30 minutes. It was that easy. Yeah, that that wasn't about anybody. But now it's funny because the lyrics pertain to my relationship now with my girlfriend. So it's like I always say that that song, I wrote that about her before I ever even knew her kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. yeah. You have, I think, a very vulnerable confidence in these songs. Um, like there, like there, there are some songs like you know, like what's your name? Where you're mm, the seductress, yeah, yeah, yeah. but then there's some of these other songs where it's kind of like, well, like I want you to touch me, but like also like sometimes don't want you to touch me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I guess like is that is that kind of like just your general framework? Is that like how your brain works? No, I think 
for the longest, I was doing a lot of romance songs mm-hmm. and because it's just easy to do that. I think we get into this trope of I'm going to write because I love you and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And because, um, you know, I was listening to Michelle by, uh, well, Michelle mm-hmm. by the Beatles the other day because mm-hmm. um, that's probably my favorite song of theirs, even though I'm not really a huge Beatles fan. But mm-hmm. I was just thinking about how they have a lot of songs about love, mm-hmm. but they still equally have songs that are about worldviews. And that was one thing Ben and I were talking about because. You know, it's not that he hates love. He's he's very cynical, but he, I think he, I think he, yeah, bless his heart. It's a, I think he wanted to do stuff that was a little bit more real, like, you know, real world centric that touched on actual issues that were going on, which is something that I wanted to do as well, because I wanted to push myself out of the yeah. envelope. So, you know, I think this will be the last group of songs that are strictly just about, you know, mostly relationships, because I think. Yeah, because Nancy's Dreams and Limitations, so it's got a good good balance this time, but um, Nancy's Dreams and Limitations are both about, um, of course, Nancy's Dreams is about my mom, and then Limitations is about just me having Mm -hmm. um, health issues, like, in and of myself and feeling like, you know, I'm, you know, my body's failing me, as I say in the song, but, yeah, I'm trying to get out of that trope. (laughs) Um, This is a really good segue. Um, because I, I and it, it's like you know love songs are just a really easy headspace. They're to get into. they're super easy. You you heard that song? Uh, I think it's called "Silly Love Songs" by Paul McCartney. It's, it's by Wings oh. technically, but like I just you know I, I put them all together or whatever. I, I think he was probably struggling with that when he wrote that song. It was uh, like you know people say they're tired of silly love songs, and then he's like, "Well, what's wrong with that?" Yeah, yeah. I don't even know. I'm yeah, and and it's weird because it's like. There are songs like that, but then there are love songs like another sad love song by Tony Braxton, where they're mm-hmm. they they there's still a love song, but they're also a heartbreak song. Because I don't yeah. think I don't think I've even gotten into the the heartbreak kind of song thing. Other well, we had one song Confucius, but that was about that that was probably like that. But it you wasn't know. about Confucius. No, it was it was <laughs> it was actually because at, at the time. I was going on a lot of dates and these girls, it, it was like, there were just a million girls that I ended up on dates with. But my coworkers, this girl, Chelsea, she had me cracking up. She would have to make up names for each of them to keep up with them. So one was coffee date because I went on a coffee date with her and one was like taco Mac or what? I don't even know. Something this, Was this in Atlanta? No, no, no. Oh. This was here, but I used to work at Taco Mac and I knew you know what I was talking about. <laughs> but yeah, it was, one was that. And then the other one was um, this girl who was like, she liked me, but she didn't want to be out because yeah. she just didn't want to take a chance and be with a girl. And so my friend was like, oh, she confused. She Confucius. <laughs> so the, na- the name ended up being called Confucius. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, the, the first two episodes of this show, like I said, they, they, they Stephen does make music. Yeah. I just don't think he has a whole lot of it out yet. But he he's he's mainly a player yeah. at, at at this point. And Nick is also a player, mm-hmm. um, like exclusively. Like he doesn't make anything. Yeah. Um. So there's somebody that's like more on the artistic side rather than like the player side. I mm-hmm. didn't really have like a whole lot to draw on. And you know, I started this podcast as the world was like quite literally falling apart. Yeah. Right. Um. So. It it, it it begs the question, it's like, you know, how do you feel about the idea that, like, well, you're, you're supposed to be using your platform to make music about, uh, you know, wh- wh- whatever the, the issue of the day is? Because some people feel like they're not obligated to. Some people are openly reject that. Some people are kind of like, oh, well, you know, I don't understand why, you know, such and such didn't make a song about this, that, and the other. Where do you fall yeah. as far as that is concerned? Um, I feel like... 
that that really falls at the discretion of the artist. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, just being real, um, because like I said, it, it's easy to fall into that love song trope. If that's what your niche is, then that's what your niche is. And you, you may not be great at writing songs that are a little bit more serious. The, the question comes whether you want to push yourself into that vein. But I think some people are so comfortable in that. It's different if you're you know, you, you just naturally are not a great writer unless you write love songs. But to that same point, you're only going to get better if you push yourself beyond that boundary. So that's the reason why I do it for myself. Um, I don't think it has to be this, you know, black lives matter and whatever in your songs, but something that kind of pushes people to think a little bit more. But also I, I can also understand if you keep pushing yourself to the point of sacrificing your art because you're trying so hard to make something that is so deep and something that touches people on an intellectual level, you could end up sacrificing your art for that and it becomes too convoluted and complicated. Because, um, I mean, I, I listened to, um, what was it? Because I was, I was having a conversation with someone about the Beatles and how I don't really care for their music. I know it's taboo for me to say, but... Yeah, in 2020, I don't think it is. Yeah, yeah. Now I think people respect it more. Sorry, Terrence Trent D'Arby, that you were a little too late. But um, <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. Terrence Trent D'Arby, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, what, what? Wait, what did he do about the Beatles? He, he said something about how his album was going to be the next Sgt. Pepper. And oh, like his oh, car- wow. that's part of why his career went down and like nobody... Yeah, I, don't even, like, it's yeah. what, I don't even know why I know that he's a dude that made music. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know any Terrence Trent D'R.B. songs. Sign your name and wishing well. Wish oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. He did sing. yeah. Right. Okay, so like I imagine that as a Prince song. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like not one, obviously, but like yeah, like, what, like weren't they out of like the same? Thing? Maybe he's a little bit later than like Prince's heyday. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's a little bit later, but but what I was gonna say on that same uh, on that same level was like you could end up being a Paul McCartney, where you know. I listened to his album because I was talking to somebody about the Beatles and I tried to figure out why I didn't like them. And my and Ben was like, you should listen to them separately. And so I listened to them all separately and I realized I liked everybody's solo music except Paul, I mean, except John Lennon's music mm-hmm. because his music sounds, some of it, that album, I listened to the one that has Imagine on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. A lot of that, in my opinion, it's just a, very hard to follow sometimes. Yeah, You know what I mean? And um, so I think that's how I feel about putting yourself in that position to write about more like conscious work or social justice type topics. Cause you could mm-hmm. end up doing what, you know, making albums that are a little bit too complicated for the listener. The Beatles, from what I know about that, they, they have songs that are political or could be interpreted yeah. as such. They have like, you know, revolution, I think nine, there's two revolutions. I can't remember. Yeah. Which one. There's, I, there's, I, there's the political revolution. And then there's like one that's like ass and it's just like a bunch <laughs> of like, psychedelic noise <laughs> and shit yeah <laughs> but, um there's that song come together i think i don't know how political they were being when they wrote it but people certainly yeah. interpreted it as such yeah back in the ussr is one mm-hmm. i don't really know and beyond those i don't know if they have any real political records uh i'm trying but, to think i don't i don't really because i don't listen to their music enough right. to really know it but i mean they did have some some serious topics mm-hmm. like i think taxman is supposed to be okay yeah yep. yeah, yeah. Yep. but um yeah it's like when you listen to them separately you can understand how each of their thought process wo- processes work because it's funny that john lennon and paul mccartney wrote mostly together a lot of the time if you if you look at the song credits and stuff right. and it makes sense when you listen to them all separately because i feel like somebody like john lennon had to be reined in a little bit more mm-hmm. and that's how i feel some people get when they are feeling this pressure to kind of push the envelope it's like 
they could end up going so far out that they don't know you don't know how to rein them back in to get them to like a solid idea because that's how I am with my stream of consciousness yeah. just thought process in general <laughs> if I didn't have someone around me to be like yeah we got to get this project finished then I'd probably be a little bit more like I'm gonna write random ass lyrics that just don't ever rhyme and you know they're just gonna go all over the place and mm -hmm. yeah um, you saw this on Instagram. I, I I I spent maybe I don't know twenty minutes of an evening taking John Lennon to task. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> and it's I hate that I, I hate that I'm like bashing him most of the time. We're talking about the Beatles because like Dude, John Lennon is everybody's least favorite Beatle. He really he really <laughs> and is with good reason. And, it, and it's crazy because I feel like. I feel like Ringo and George both get shit on so heavily. Do they? Well, Ring, Ring, people clown Ringo. They really do, and I, like it's, I don't. His music isn't my favorite solo wise, but I definitely enjoy it though. There's there are so many enjoyable elements about his music because it's just fun music. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I listen to John Lennon, and I'm, sometimes I'm like, man, it's no wonder y'all broke up. <laughs> no, he. I think that like and and like I mean there there are John Lennon songs that I like. Imagine isn't really one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he like he's got uh, Beautiful Boy. That's the song he wrote about his son that he was a fucking dick to yeah but it, it i mean it, it's it's a it's a dope song and it, look, let me, look people are complex like yeah I get it. everybody's yeah um i just think that like when i listen to like john lennon records I, I just think that he he thought he was smarter than he actually was yeah because like you know when you listen to, i've been listening to a lot of wings but like paul mccartney stuff is like you know dancey disco progressive shit when yeah. he did wings but like every john lennon song he just had to be making a point yeah, like, uh, that's that's how I feel, and I, and it's funny because I feel like Ringo was the least serious. Not that he's not a serious person, <laughs> he's but but I, gardens. yeah, I feel like he's just a a chill dude who just like goes with the flow. And yeah. then you listen to George Harrison's music, and George Harrison, it's like you can tell he's very enlightened, but he doesn't throw it in your face like I'm gonna make you feel stupid when you listen to my shit. That, mm -hmm. That's how I feel when I listen to John Lennon's music. It's like yeah. I'm like I'm listening to someone tell me that I'm not smart enough and that I need to listen to them to be better as a person. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. really? Uh, John Lennon's got this song called God. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that he thought that he was being like super subversive because he got Billy Preston. Um, I don't know if you listen to Billy Preston at all. Mm -mm. Um, he 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 played he played piano on a lot of Beatles records before the Beatles broke up. He's he's, he's a black man and uh, he was a gay man as well. Mm -hmm. And he he had that song. Something from nothing means nothing. You you have you probably heard this. I, song I probably heard it and don't even know. Um, but he he got Billy Preston to play like this gospel piano on this record called God, where John Lennon just like rants like for like six minutes about how there is no God. And he's like, you know, I don't believe in, you know, Jesus and I don't believe in I Ching and I believe in this and I believe in that. And then like just at like minute, I don't know, five twenty six, he's just like, I just believe in me. I believe in Yoko and me. And he like threw a he he throws a Beatles disc and diss in there because he's like, I don't believe in Beatles. And then like the music cuts out and just like I just believe in me. And I'm like, this like you cause and you think this is profound is what you think. <laughs> Like it's that's, like that's so funny because um, PM Dawn did a song that's uh, it's kind of in that same vein. It's it, but it's not pretentious though. It's it's actually really funny because it's making fun of just everything in the world. Um, and it's called Hail Bop something. I forgot the last the last word of it, but it sounds very Beatlesque. Like mm -hmm. you can like you can tell like it's got the univibe on the guitars and you know the tambourine and all that stuff. It, it, it's very much like psychedelic. Beatles stuff but it's funny you say that because he's talking about I should have known not to shoot John Lennon I sh um, uh, you know he's spicy. like he's like s basically saying it as if he was God himself but it's like not <laughs> but it, like it's really whimsical and funny okay it sounds like it yeah 
Um, yeah. Let's see. How are you feeling about just the state of the world in general? <sighs> it, it's it's weird because um, like we both touched on it earlier. I lost my grandmother in March, mm-hmm. and then I'm I'm not close to my dad, and my dad is not close to his biological dad. But mm-hmm. then I want to say about two weeks after my grandmother died, my dad's dad died. Oh God! And so it was really weird because I had been thinking about reaching out to him, and I didn't for some reason. But I had him on my mind, and then he had a heart attack, and like that's it. Mm-hmm. And so it was crazy to me because that happened. And then I was trying to process my feelings about that and whether or not I should say something to my dad because I don't talk to my dad and I have his number blocked and all that. But then I, you know, I had unlocked, I mean, I like bought him something and sent it. But then, you know, after that, me and my girlfriend, it, it was just very tense because you, you're in tight quarters with each other for long periods of time. And mm-hmm. then you don't realize how much you're picking up on each other's energy. Um, but I, I will say the one solace in all that is, is that I have access to therapy because I don't think, it, I think if people... I, th- I feel bad for people who don't have therapy because I know that's a lot of shit to put on yourself with all the stuff going on right now. But the probably the most important thing my therapist said for me and my girlfriend was like, if we ever have serious conversations to like make sure we sit at a table and we're not sitting, you know, on the bed or we're not sitting on the couch or anywhere that's like it, it made for leisure time or for relaxing or anything like that. And that has exponentially helped us in that. So I, I, I think right now we're just in a state of hopelessness because I think had our government picked up on this early in it, it, in Mar- in February, uh, they knew they yeah, just had, yeah, well they knew, yeah. but like in February, if they had said, Hey, we're going to spend the, the next month and a half, two months being in quarantine, unless you're an essential worker so that we can cut down on this. We, we probably would have beat it already. We would have been New Zealand. Yeah. Hell. <laughs> Man, I don't know. Like, I, I always uh, this. This is what I always tell people. Like, you know, because pe- people will talk to me, and and you know, they'll be like, "Well, you know, I'm I'm trying to do this thing. I don't really know what I'm doing." Mm-hmm. Like, take 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 comfort in knowing that like nobody really knows what the fuck that they're doing. Oh yeah. And the people that do are figuring it out just like you do, and they're pretending. Yeah. Now that being said, I'm not going to let the government off the hook. Not this government in particular. Oh, nah. Um, they 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 don't know what they're doing more so than the average person is number one mm-hmm. and but i think what's even worse is they don't care and to a degree when it comes to like donald trump and mike pence i don't even know how much they believe in this virus oh i don't know if they think it's real oh it, it was funny there was some woman who was on they, they put a video on twitter and she was ranting in i think it was trader joe's or something and she was saying <laughs> I, I like i have a breathing problem and this that, and the other but she's clearly not wearing a mask at all I'm like, like you're make not, your bed then. Well, but it's also just you're not a toddler. Y- you know how to take a mask off if you feel like you can't breathe or you can't suffocate. You know you have the legs to walk outside and pull it down so that you can take a couple of seconds and breathe real quick. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard for you to just go outside if you need to take the mask off and then come back in with it on. Yeah. That was that was my thought process behind it because I was just like, what? I do not want to like have to do this again. Like this whole lockdown oh thing. Oh my god. But like you see Tootsie's first of all oh the bar downtown I, that video and people were like well, just everywhere that happened two two things have happened three things have happened everybody was like oh okay well coronavirus is over let's go to Broadway that happened <sighs> then they lost their beer license along with four other bars I think Nudie's lost it I think Tootsie's lost it oh, Kid that, Rock lost yeah, it yeah Kid Ross, Rock lost it so I think Steve Smith owns both Tootsie's and Kid Rock's. <clears throat> and Tootsie's has like 
I think like nine uh, people that have tested positive for COVID. You know, and I, I can't really judge a whole lot because my friend um, wanted to get together because one of our friends is a traveling um, radiologist. And so she was mm-hmm. about to go on assignment. She's gone now, but she wanted to hang out just the three of us. And she suggested Mickey's. And mm-hmm. I mean, like an idiot, mm-hmm. I, I went ahead and said yes, because, you know, you're pent up in the house and then you haven't seen people a lot. I was like, OK, they have outside seating, so it'll be fine because we're just going to be outside and I'll have my mask on indoors. We get out there and then she had two people from work that were already sitting out there in addition to our friend that was coming. Mm-hmm. And then two people that just happened to walk by that they knew that that came and sat down with us and then somebody else that they knew. And I was just like. Well, I hope I don't get coronavirus now. So, you yeah. know what I mean? And it's just like. I mean, we're, we're, we're at the point where it's like a lot of people are going to be exposed to it. And I'm, yeah. not, I'm not like hanging my hat up when I say that. Like we have to just make sure that the hospitals don't get overwhelmed. Oh, yeah. Um, but what's a little alarming, at least to me, like, you know, I'm not blaming anybody for going out and wanting to have a good time, especially yeah. at, after having been in the house for so long. Yeah. But I think what's kind of scary about it is that like, you know, Dino's was supposed to open. And then they decided to postpone their opening because, like, somebody in their, on their staff caught it. And this is, like, literally as soon as you let everybody out, it's like, bam, cases, 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 mm-hmm. cases. Um, and I, I think what's scary about it this time, especially for, like, the southern governors, is they're, they're not going to want to comply with a second lockdown. Um, and even if we have one, you know, the federal government isn't going to do anything to, like, sustain people when they're out of work. So it's kind of like we're all just like saying, all right, like bring it. In. Well, and it's so shitty living in the Bible Belt. I, I Like I love being from the South because th- there's certain qualities about being in the South that are just you, you can't take those everywhere. Not everybody has that. You know, mm-hmm. something as simple as opening up the door that I, th- that never happened to me when I went up to New York. You know, people just being polite if they see you behind them, like, you know, holding the door open or, mm-hmm. you know, just general if i see somebody walking down the street in the south i know i can just look at them and be like hey I, like i'll smile at them and it's not weird mm-hmm. you go to new york or california or something i'm sure they're probably just looking at you like what the fuck are you looking at mm-hmm. but um yeah it, it's it's weird because with that in mind there's so much idiocy that just runs rampant down here yeah because i saw where people were talking about how we were getting this from 5g where we were, which forgot, was like, holy shit, I forgot about that. Which was like, at what point do you really think that your phone is going to give you something? Don't you think it would have killed you by now? As yeah. many cell phones as you've had over the, the last 10 years with technology advancing. It, it just boggles my mind, the amount of idiocy down here. Because people think that this is a joke and they think it's fake and the numbers are trumped up to be, mm-hmm. you know, to make people paranoid <laughs> and all that stuff. But then you have people who are really dying. My friend lives down in... Um, I think she lived, no, she moved to Arizona, I think. I don't know. Well, Arizona's but, getting yeah. hit hard right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she, um, she, her grandfather died at the beginning of the year. So, you know, I feel like everybody's lost a grandparent this year. Yeah. But um, her grandfather died. And when she went to the funeral, she's pretty sure she caught it from someone at the funeral because her and her mom both tested positive and she was afraid her mom wasn't going to make it. And it's just like, mm-hmm. why do people not take this seriously? I know people who have been affected by it. So, you know. <laughs> um. We talked about this on the last episode a little bit. Is that there right now? Is there just a fundamental distrust of inst- institutions? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get into why I think that is. We talked about that last time. But what like the, what 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 ha- what's happened over the past week, week and a half? Like, you know, Anthony Fauci's like you know the the uh, basically yeah. like the man, the doctor. That's right. yeah. So he gave an interview. I can't remember if he was testifying on Congress or if he was giving an interview. But he basically came out and was like, because if you remember when this whole thing started. A few people were putting on masks, mm-hmm. and then the CDC and the World Health Organization were like, "Don't do that. It's not going to do yeah, anything." Yeah, I remember that. 
So then a few went a few months went by, and they were like, "Oh, uh, actually, it's a good idea to wear masks. Everybody should wear <laughs> I remember masks." That. <laughs> Which is so funny to me. And we should wear masks. The issue is. The same people that said that are the ones that said, uh, well, the, the same people that said don't wear them, the same people that wear them. And it turns out they said that because they didn't want healthcare workers to not have the equipment. Mm-hmm. So why couldn't they just say that? Because what they did was they lied. Yeah. They, they, they literally lied to say, all right, well, we have to save per- personal protective equipment for medical workers. Mm-hmm. So let's tell the public not to wear masks. Bet- Which was a flat out lie. Oh man! And between that and Trump saying inject ourselves with hey. <laughs> some like the antibacterial yeah. stuff, and I was just like, "Do you want to die?" That, like now, you- that was just some straight up bullshit. Like, well, you know what though? Yeah. Part of me was hoping that that would happen <laughs> just so we could get some entertainment because I was like, "This is truly some idiotic shit." Yeah, no, I you know I don't know. It, it, it's a hot mess, man. Um, I- with, with Donald Trump, like. It, for better, not for worse. I mean, but at least we know that he is just—he is fundamentally false when he speaks. Yeah, he just makes shit up, and I—I I don't even think that he lies to mislead. He just says shit. Yeah. Um, but like, like, like Anthony Fauci is like the dude who, like, he—he he was one of the leading scientists. Like when the AIDS epidemic hit. Yeah. Like this is a, a smart deal. So like, you know, we should be listening to him. Yeah. But if he and the people around him aren't even going to tell the truth, how are you going to expect people to believe what you say when it matters? Yeah. Because, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just saying exactly to your point. Like, and it, and it's so messed up because we've had so many back and forths mm-hmm. in our country just in general. Mm-hmm. And we have a president who, you know, I'm sure he, and I hate that I'm even saying this, but I'm sure there are some policies that he signed off on that are actually beneficial because one thing my parents did tell me is that people who are business owners are people who, you know, make a good income. Mm-hmm. It is better for them when a Republican is in office because, you know, they look out for them um, mm-hmm. and there are less tax cuts, which which does make sense. But with that being said, it's like he just really does not get it. And I think pe- we live in a state now where he's he's not even speaking up about things. I'm like losing my thought. No, no, but no, no, no. But like he he's one of those people that even his silence is mm-hmm. enough to mm-hmm. encourage things, mm-hmm. which is which is really, really fucking scary. Because when Obama was in office, whether you agreed with him or not, he was very direct with the public about what he felt. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the most important thing in any leader. And that that's something I think about at work, too, is just like. When decisions are made, we need to be way more transparent with people. Yeah, because our government they just they just make things up, or they'll cease to say something about it and just let it keep building up till people complain, and then they finally address it, and people are just like, "Well, why didn't you say that five months ago? Or yeah. Why didn't you say that a week ago?" And yeah. you know, th- I'm seeing that, at, like I said, at work. And so, if people are, because I know me, me as a person. I'd rather you tell me straight up than to just keep like beating around the bush mm-hmm. with something. Cause then I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs like, Oh my gosh, are we going to die? What's going to happen next? Are we still going to keep our jobs? Mm-hmm. And then they keep, you know, they keep sending emails out like we're still making a decision. We're still working on it. Yeah. We're still thinking about it. It's like, okay, well we're going to die by then. So like, yeah. Um, yeah. Fucking I'm gonna do it. Um, <laughs> so, um, Mac and I work for an undisclosed company. Yes. We are co-workers. We, we met before we worked for this undisclosed company, but yes. we do work for this undisclosed company. <laughs> um, and um, the, we're, we're, we, we, like a lot of companies, experience layoffs. 
um, this year as a result of coronavirus. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you remember the same thing. They were like, yeah, there are not going to be any layoffs. We're going to cut back this, that, and the other. Yeah. And then we all got that scary fucking email oh my in God. the middle of the day. And the crazy thing is I wasn't even at work. Oh, God. Wait, I- wait. <laughs> So when they sent that, it that was the crazy part. They sent that email on my off day because my schedule is like Thursday through Monday. Yeah. So I, my, I had my phone was blowing up from coworkers, oh, and me and my girlfriend were already, you know, it was like you know trepidatious waters at that point because we hadn't gone to therapy yet and just like you know mm-hmm. calmed ourselves down from that. And so I was like already very heightened and tense because, you know, I was just like not wanting to fuck up my relationship. And then all, next thing I know, my coworkers are blowing up my phone saying, I'm so sorry, so-and-so. Like, I, I can't believe you got cut or whatever. And I was just yeah. like, what? What is going on? And then I had to like ask my girlfriend to like uh, check my email or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, w- it was fucking scary. I can't imagine what it would have been like if I wasn't at work. Like literally... Because I'd, I'd never been through a layoff before. Me either. Um, and like, it didn't last long, but mm-hmm. they, it was a very scary experience in the short term. Oh, my gosh. We were all about to have like a meeting, like on a Google Hangout or Zoom. Um, Google Hangout, Zoom, same shit. Um, we were all about to have a meeting, and we were mm-hmm. all laughing and having a good time. And somebody was like, hey, did y'all see this, <laughs> did y'all see this email that we got? <laughs> Oh and my everybody, God. everybody went to check their email, and everybody's face just dropped. They're like, "Oh!" And um, like the team lead that was like over this meeting was like, "Um, yeah, let's go ahead and postpone this meeting." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that was so crazy to me because I I will say it's it's not that I don't think that I do a good job at work because I think I'm a decent employee considering I'm not passionate about what I do, but. Mm-hmm. I will say, part of me was like, oh, I guess I didn't get cut because I'm the only black one on the team. Oh, God. <laughs> and there's only one Asian person on our team, too. So we were like, we stayed. We're the only two minorities on the team. Mm-hmm. And so in my back of my mind, I'm like, am I actually good at my job? And I told my coworker that like on my team, because she, she, like, she's really awesome. And I was just like, yeah, part of me worries. I'm like, did they just keep me because I'm the only black one and they didn't have a diversity <laughs> person on this team i wonder <laughs> hell i mean it, they, they were so transparent i'm not so transparent they were so opaque about mm-hmm. the whole process so like you know because I mean, it, it easily could have been us it yeah. easily oh, could have been us. absolutely and i think because I, I was fortunate because my girlfriend's hours got cut at her company mm-hmm. and so you know she was doing a great job and then all of a sudden all this stuff happened and then next thing you know she gets you know confirmation that i guess sales started going back up because people were staying home and they didn't have anything else to do mm-hmm. and so they just started you know I'm not going to disclose her company either, but um, sh- they started buying products from her company to like yeah. deal with their leisure time now because so many people don't have anything else to do. So I think that's what skyrocketed her business for her. So now she picked hours back up. But mm-hmm. I, man, that's the scary thing. All my, all my roommates lost their jobs. All um, of them? I, yeah. I, and there, there, there were five people that live in this house. Not, well, not anymore, but like when this was happening, oh, yeah. I had four roommates. Two of them shared a room. It wasn't as bad as it sounds. Oh, yeah. Um, but no, they all lost their jobs. Man, and it's... <coughs> That's the crazy thing, because my parents own their company, so it's easy for them, you know. I mean, it's not easy, but in the grand scheme of things, it, it's probably easier as a business owner if the work you do, because they're in finances. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, I, I feel like that's something that everybody needs mm-hmm. consistently. Um, the the scariest thing was probably that, uh, the stimulus checks. Mm-hmm. Because when I looked at my bank account and saw that $1,200 check, I was like, oh, okay, good, this is going to help me with a payment. But then I was thinking... 
Well, God damn, I'm glad that I still have my job because if I didn't have my job, I don't know how I would be making an income right now because yeah. who the hell could have lived off of... We've been, in, we've been in quarantine for five months now. Since March. Yeah, we've been in quarantine since March. So that means that all those people who received that stimulus check had to survive on twelve hundred dollars for people, five months. Some people still haven't gotten yeah. it. Yeah, and but then you saw the government said that they had some that went out to dead people, and I'm yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. How yeah. do you not? Man, look, I can't, just can't. Like, we were bad news bears with this shit, man. Because especially like when you look at the other developed countries, um, they nationalized their payroll system, which mm-hmm. like what, what the fuck we did was like we gave <laughs> corporate bailouts. Is what we did. They gave companies money to continue paying their employees so nobody had to get laid off. And it doesn't seem like it's that fucking hard. Well, but we you got to think, though, we also live in a capitalistic country. Yeah, yeah, you know right, what I mean? You, no, you, you're I mean, absolutely I mean, right. I mean, we're the same country that, you know, people wanted... I was, I was ranting about this last night on my Instagram story about mm-hmm. people talking about Planned Parenthood and trying to compare that to defunding the police and all that stuff. And I'm just like... Mm-hmm. What you know? We're the, that, that's we're that same company, and it's yeah. just like, what are you talking about? I don't like. I don't doubt. I I I know. I know for a fact that our elected officials, as they exist today, mm-hmm. and the companies that they support, because it's it's the companies that they support, not us. Yeah, that they don't have our best interests in mind. This is the part that's fucking stupid. And honestly, this is one of the great inefficiencies and 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 irrationalities about capitalism, because in the United States, we produce very little. Yeah. We, we we like we we our, our our economy is overwhelmingly consumption based. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you people don't have work, they can't fucking consume. Mm-hmm. You don't want them to be out of work. <laughs> Which is so funny to me because it's like me and my girlfriend were talking about this the other day. You brought up a great point because America is so selfish and so stuck on themselves that they only care about the people who are doing really, really well. Nobody cares about the people who aren't doing really well. Yeah. And it's it's really astounding because you look at these other companies, like you said, countries, like you said, who are making sure that people don't have to get laid off from their jobs. Because mm-hmm. we were talking about soccer. And, <laughs> soccer. And, which is, I know, a random point to this, but we were talking about soccer and how every other country in the world pretty much loves soccer and that's like their football but americans are so greedy and selfish we had to make up another sport that we could be the best at because have you noticed even with baseball they go to the world series they don't play anyone else in the world yeah unless you go to the olympics you're not playing anyone else in the world so why are you calling it the world series and she, yeah yeah because her dad's jamaican and she was like yeah my dad said that he was like why do americans do that they you know they say that they're the best at something but they're also the only ones doing it <laughs> Yeah, I I don't like we all learned about American exceptionalism in high school and whatnot. I don't I don't know what about it was. I guess it was just some old white dudes on the ego trip because mm-hmm. like I don't know. How do you feel about this whole like founding fathers thing? I'm not I'm not necessarily talking about statues. I'm just saying that like we 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 are culturally conditioned to believe that these people just had tremendous foresight and that they were were, were, were were geniuses. And I'm like, were they? Or did they really just want to, like, hold power for themselves like everybody in power does? It, because they clearly didn't believe the shit that they were writing. See, okay, so I'm not the greatest at history, but I personally don't think we should be memorializing anybody who held slaves mm-hmm. or who, you know, contributed to that, Abraham Lincoln included, because he, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't have altruistic intentions from what I've read no. about about the Emancipation Proclamation either. He would not. But he did not. 
if we're going to make statues about anybody, they should be about people who have actually contributed to society. Mm-hmm. Like fucking Einstein. Yeah. Or Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. You, you know, even though Mother Teresa, she's not from here, is she? I don't know where she's from. She spent she's most from. of her life in India, or at least India, the, the, yeah. the part of her life that we know about. Yeah. They're but just like the <laughs> things that we should be making statues to should be moralizing people who actually contributed to society, things that we still consume today, like yeah. George Washington Carver or mm-hmm. Madam C.J. Wall. You know, I mean, granted, I know more about, you know, black figures and whatever. Right. But it should truly be about the people who have done things that have helped uproot mm-hmm. systemic racism and you know, discrimination in this country and the fact that people are so in an uprising about it just proves how many people don't know about all this shit. I think that like we're unique. First of all, let me, let me, let me, I I think that we got the whole game fucked up. I think America has the game fucked up, but America Mm -hmm. thinks that it wrote the game. (laughs) Um, when you look at the other developed countries, it's like, you know, Great Britain, uh, Italy, Mm -hmm. uh, France, all these places. Yeah. They they've been around longer than us. Number one, mm-hmm. they've had time to, to try different shit because because they, they 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 they've been on some bullshit too. Every yeah. last one of them, they've been yeah. on some bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's happened to them that hasn't really happened to us is like they've all seen their countries laid to waste in the first and second world wars. Yeah, you know, especially and especially after the second one, they were like, you know what, I'm, I'm good on this empire shit. Yeah, we ain't at that point yet. Well, I mean, and even countries like Germany. When the Holocaust happened, yeah. they had reparations and they publicly denounced mm-hmm. Hitler and all you know all that that stood for. And it's like America is just they're so beyond doing something like that. Yeah, I mean Germany, they know what it's like to lose. <laughs> America doesn't know what it's like to lose. Oh well, they're about to see over the next you know year or so. Yeah, I think like. It, but the, the the issue is like I think like America's loss will be like a soft landing. Don't I'm not saying it won't suck. Yeah, I'm just saying yeah. that like as, as of today, I don't think we're like at risk of like getting laid to waste like the Germans were. And based on the behavior of the Germans in the Second World War, they should have been. Yeah, because they 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 were on some bullshit. Um, but it's 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 like I think that we think that we we we've been conditioned to believe the myth that we've written about ourselves mm-hmm. because we were the only developed country to come out of the second world war unscathed yeah all them other countries were like you know what let's make life better for people rather than blowing shit up yeah we were like we blew everybody else up let's keep doing it yeah and it, and it's and it's crazy because um I, I forget her name i think it was nicole jones what did that, she do that author I may be saying her. Uh, that might not be her. Her name. It's it's Nicole something. But she was talking about. Um, she was bringing up Black Wall Street mm-hmm. and you know the Tulsa massacres there, and then Rosewood. Which, mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with this, um, there's Black Wall Street was like actual successful Black people creating economy for themselves and an actual generational wealth. They were actually able to accomplish that, and same in Rosewood. Um, they were you know even though the towns were still segregated from white. Americans, it, they were still able to do for themselves. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about that and how black people don't own anything. And the fact that this country, it, it, it's like, it's only, it only cares about themselves and, mm-hmm. and they don't understand. I think people are so embarrassed. They would rather stay with their tail between their legs and not have to admit anything than to actually reassess the way society stands today mm-hmm. and try to fix it. Yeah. I mean, hell, I, I I would think that if I was white, I'd be pretty embarrassed too. <laughs> like, 
I don't like I I, I I don't know what it's like to be a white person and come to grips with the fact that like your ancestors were on some serious bullshit. No. And what did you say before I even answered that? Because that might not have been where my thought was going. Oh, fuck, I don't remember. But like that's <laughs> like that's part, <laughs> that's part of podcasting. Like people always ask me like like if I'm if I casually mention a podcast, people are always like. What's your podcast about? And I'm like, whatever the fuck I want it to be about. Because like it's like when it gets down to it, all a podcast is is people talking. Yeah. That's, that's all it is. It is. Um <laughs> it's the same conversations that you would have at a bar oh or a coffee shop. There's just a microphone. That's funny. Um to this like because I, I think that to to a lot of white people, this is the first time that they're hearing about like the Tulsa Massacre. And mm-hmm. that like the, the Tulsa Massacre was in nineteen twenty one, or the, the Black Wall Street is like we refer to it. Yeah. Um, 21, 19, 20, 21. Two years before, they had there was an entire summer of race riots. And when I say race riots, this is like white people burning down black businesses and terrorizing black citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's like all, all over the country, Atlanta, Detroit. There's a whole summer of it. And yeah. I'm not going to get into like the reasons on like what what sparked and whatnot. But the fact of the matter is, it happened. Yeah. Um, and th- th- there's 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 no framework in American education to talk about it. Um, so I guess when you hear about it, it's like, oh my God, well, why would they act like that? And you know, what's funny is my mom took me to see the movie Rosewood and she should not have taken us. She realized that after she did it, because she, I don't know what she thought it was going to be about. Cause what the, did she think it was going to be about? I, she knew it was going to be something about black history, but I don't think she assumed that it was going to be as like crazy as it was. Yeah. Because when I rewatched it, when I was older, I was like. I it's a very, I mean, it was a very violent thing. Oh, that it's happened. it's extremely violent. And it, she took me when I was about five, because that's about the time it came out. Mm-hmm. And she took a friend of mine, and the little girl apparently had nightmares mm-hmm. for a while because of what was going on in that movie. But it's so crazy that even me, as you know, I'm about to be 29, and mm-hmm. I didn't even realize all of this stuff happened in history. My great grandmother was 93 when she died, which was two years ago. My great grandmother. But it's crazy to me because when I look at her life, she was in her 40s when segregation ended. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can you like can you imagine growing up not being able to even drink out of the same water fountain as somebody Mm -hmm. or go into places? Her her grandmother was probably a slave or her mother. Mm -hmm. But to go from that and then to see everything be most things rather to be desegregated Mm -hmm. and then go into seeing technology and we're able to unlock phones with our faces. 93 is a long time. That's a long time. Yeah. And, you know, and it's crazy to think about that. And I think w- this country is so rooted, going back to your point about um, Mount Rushmore or the founding fathers or whatever mm-hmm. the, we were talking about, people don't really understand how much history gets lost. Yeah, and how much of it gets written away intentionally. It's it's almost like yeah. we're living a game of telephone. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah. Except there's like there's like just like a game master that like can kind of influence what yeah y- you know y- you know well but I guess like the only thing with telephone would be like every person has the ability to like influence it on their own on their own yeah but like here you know we have institutions that are able to rewrite history mm-hmm. or hide parts of it you know what I mean mm-hmm. um I just like what what's the worst that could happen if we said you know what. Maybe George Washington had some great ideas, in theory, <laughs> and maybe he was also kind of a shitty guy. I, like, I, what's the worst that could happen if we said that? Well, I think the problem is, and I was talking to my mom about this the other day, actually, because I was talking about my relationship with my dad, and mm-hmm. 
I think so many people don't understand that things can coexist. And that's the problem. People think that while we can't respect someone's ideas, Mm -hmm. that they can't also equally be a shitty person. Like Bill Cosby, for example, I respect so much of what he did Mm -hmm. as far as like his art and his, his, like what he did creatively and how much he was able to influence television for black people, you know, coming up through the years. But I can also say that he was a shitty human being. Like he was just not a good human behind closed doors outside of his art. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think people don't understand that we can do the same thing with history and understand the roles that people played while Mm -hmm. also not glorifying them. Yeah. I I, I strong agree. Um, People are complex. Mm hmm. Um, I think the difference between somebody like Bill Cosby or even John Lennon that we were talking about earlier, though, yeah. is that like in in the American framework, mm-hmm. George Washington might as well might might as well be one of the twelve disciples, <laughs> or fucking Moses. <laughs> it's so funny no I was gonna say it's so funny you say that about the 12 disciples because I didn't realize until I was an adult and I tried to read the bible emphasis being tried and I just couldn't get through it but um I tried to read the bible and I realized Matthew Mark Luke and John were all the same chapter told from different points of view that's literally what our country is it's like all being told from different points of view the same story but because the angle is different they didn't catch some of what someone else saw yeah (laughs) yeah yeah no it is um I don't know I, 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 I sometimes I wonder, like when I hear people talk about like the founding fathers, if they even believe that they actually existed, because the we 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 frame them in history as if they could just do no. They were just inherently moral actors. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And that that what they were doing was righteous. Literally, if black people wanted to do an American Revolution today. Y'all wouldn't be fucking happy about that. So why were the colonists right and the fucking British wrong? Well, and it's crazy. maybe the colonists were on some bullshit. No, ahead. no, no. You you were so right, and it's it's funny because um, well, it's not funny, but uh, watching <laughs> there, you know, there have been so many stories about Sally Hemming over the years and Thomas Miss, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson's mi- uh, slave, mistress, slave, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And so you know, the stories have all been glorified as this romance and like she was in love with him and it was a forbidden love and all this shit. And then you realize she was underage, number one. Mm-hmm. Two, she was his property. She was not someone that he, that she couldn't, she had no way to be with anyone she wanted to be with because she was tied to him. She was tethered to him. Literally, right. like legally, she was his property. Mm-hmm. And so it's just funny how you saying that about how we romanticize the founding fathers. That's what happened with Thomas Jefferson. But it took, you know, one of Thomas Jefferson's white descendants to understand his you know, great, 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 great grandfather, whatever, and, you know, the lineage history. And, you know, because they have that museum for Thomas Jefferson, it took him being like, no, this is actually kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. We we should probably have an exhibit about Sally Hemming so that people understand that he was, like, not 100% yeah. a great dude. Mm-hmm. And he was the one that had to, like, reach out to his black relatives who are descendants of Sally Hemming and, you know, kind of bridge that gap. That He and one of the other grandsons, they all got together and kind of made it so that they are this big happy family but it america just isn't okay doing that same thing with yeah. everything else in history because they're stuck on oh they did this so they couldn't have done that yeah you know <laughs> like like it's just inexcusable like the the, the base level of earn oh, i can't talk anymore no, you're fine owning a human <laughs> being is is already inexcusable but you know to, like you said she was underage mm-hmm. um you talking about owning people, me and my girlfriend were actually having that conversation the other day because um, when Kanye said that uh, slaves, s- had a choice. slaves had a choice. And it's funny because 
when you look back at movies or shows that depict slaves, mm-hmm. even though we don't really have any pictures because it was so old, everything's just drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the slaves were pretty strong. And I was like, I guess maybe that's why Kanye assumed that that the slaves had a choice. But it's also just like there's only so strong you can be against a bullet. And yeah, it, like and you, slaves didn't he, have guns. Look, Kanye, Kanye just be saying <laughs> shit. Kanye doesn't even he know does. what he's saying. He, he doesn't. I swear to God, like you, you just can't go anywhere. And like Kanye is just so omnipresent in culture, for better or for worse. That you, like he just comes up in conversation inevitably. He he does, and and it's it's just really crazy to me because I had this conversation with my mom, and I was like, "Am I weirdo for thinking this?" But. I wonder what version of myself I would be if slavery never happened. Mm-hmm. Like, do you ever sit and think about that sometimes? Yeah, like, it's kind of like the butterfly effect thing. Yeah, let's use Kanye as a fucking example. Yeah, be quite possible. Let's say that his ancestor exercised his choice to not be a slave. Mm-hmm. He probably wouldn't be alive, and you know what would happen? There'd be no fucking Kanye. That's what would have <laughs> fucking happened. <laughs> Fucking dumbass. Sorry. You're so passionate. <laughs> no, I, I just I, I don't listen to his music, but <laughs> I mean I, look, he and I, I like and just like we're talking people are complex. I mean, I like a lot of his music. Yeah. I just think that he people can be people can have genius level talent in one way and also just be incredibly mis or underinformed in another, and he is that dude. Oh yeah, he kind of reminds me of Lupe Fiasco a little bit because Lupe Fiasco <laughs> was like he was saying all this shit about presidents and like voting and shit, but he doesn't vote. And I'm just like, oh, I remember that. Like, why would you? Why would yeah. you encourage people not to vote? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, so, who who are you listening to these days? I am. Gosh, I've been into it because you know, as we were talking about earlier with music, we're trying to. Delve. I love how we segued hardcore from like politics and the government just, just to like, like get it on a lighter note. These are highly political times, so inev- and I like talking about like the climate of things. So inevitably, it comes up. I yeah. just like this isn't a. I mean, it I don't know. This is this is a show about whatever I wanted to be. True, um, and, and you kind of want to bring some lightheartedness to to kind of round that out because you know bookends, yeah. no, bookends that, that, of happiness. That's really what it is. It's <laughs> yeah. just like I don't want this to turn into like a really dismal conversation. So yeah. no, no, no. What, um, what 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 records are you listening to these days? Um, so we were talking about you know music and where we're trying to go. Your cat loves me, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> so we're trying to get into that neo psychedelic kind of indie, dream pop, you know, shoegaze type sound. I've been listening to a lot of Moses Gun Collective. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a really awesome band from Australia. I've been listening to uh, Unknown Mortal Orchestra a little bit more than I used to. Uh, uh-huh. I'm really heavy into this guy, Vinyl Williams. I'm not familiar with Vinyl Williams. Okay, so his name is actually Lionel Williams, but I thought that was very clever to go by Vinyl Williams. His grandfather is actually John Williams, the guy who wrote oh. Star Wars theme songs. Oh, and Yeah, and the Jurassic Park theme song. But um, yeah, he makes really enlightening, spiritual sounding music, and it, it's it's the type of music that you would listen to if you were you talk about crispy drums. Hmm. Yeah, I yeah. like I like I like, he, I like yeah. a nice compressed drum. I yeah, do. he has very crispy drums. Um, I'm listening to some Temples. Mm-hmm. Um, now are they from Australia too? No, they're actually from the UK, okay. and uh, they're one of the few bands that I was because you know when you when you listen to your music and then you all this shit happened and the world and you know all the stuff with george floyd and all of that and then you wonder who's actually like pro-black and who who's just doing it to save face and they're one of the few that i feel like okay they're not they're probably not doing it to save face mm-hmm. but um they, temples we're still talking temples, about right? yeah yeah because they actually made posts about it and um they had a day where they took all their band camp proceeds and donated it and um and tom weasley i think that's his last name thomas weasley 
I might be wrong, but he's the bass player for the band, and he's, like, posted all this stuff. Like, every day he's making sure to post things to keep people informed and all that. But, um, yeah, I've been just trying to listen to things that have more atmosphere to them. Yeah. Um, Sade is very good at that, which I think is why, which a lot of people, when I say Sade, I don't just mean her as the artist. Like, people don't realize the name of the band was Sade. Mm -hmm. But um, they were really good about that because for them to do neo-soul, like it, it was it was pretty much you know quiet storm neo soul type type mm. of sound but they had a lot of ambient elements that we don't even think about today yeah. um or a lot of indie kind of influences and same with maxwell his album embrya is probably one of the best albums ever created mm. in my opinion um and it and it does a good job of that but yeah that's i've been trying to listen to a lot of older stuff that i've forgotten about yeah but i don't know i'm like now that I think about it and I try to say it out loud, I'm like, what have I been listening to? Because I don't think uh, I've been listening as much a, as that. That's always a weird question. You definitely got to do some digging to answer that question. Well, Because like, if you had asked me, I don't know what I would have said. Well, and part of it, too, I think, is the, the simple fact that because of the times right now, I think people are not as inspired. And so we're all a little bit more kind of on the depressed side. So people aren't, if you've noticed, more people have been watching movies and stuff to entertain themselves as opposed to listening to music to get hype because we can't go anywhere. Yeah, no, I've been thinking a lot about this. For, for, for you, you mentioned like atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is very much like just the, the state of music in general. Yeah. Because like when I, when I seriously started trying to write music to release, I, I was like really heavy into The Strokes and Alabama Shakes. Mac DeMarco too. But yeah. that, that, that came a little later. Before, at least before I was like hook line sinker into Mac DeMarco. Oh yeah. Um, but I want to do like kind of like a rock and roll band, right? Mm-hmm. And there's not there's not a whole lot of real estate in the culture of music for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's there's there's a number of reasons for it. But one of the big ones is like when you think about like Moses Gun Collective, for example. Yeah. Um, I don't listen to a lot of them, but like Spotify loves recommending them to me. Oh yeah. Um. The, the the stuff that's like that, that's cool is all you know super hazy it's like just like swimming through a pool of purple yeah it almost feels like you have to be you have to have your voice ultra reverb with a little bit of crisp yeah. distortion on it and like a bunch of slap back or like delay is just kind of echoing out into the ether and I, I want your opinion on this but I'm gonna tell you what my, my like my my, my rationale for that because even with a lot of trap music even it's super mm-hmm. like you listen to future is just like oh yeah I bought a swimming pool and I'm gonna fill it with lean and I'm <laughs> go swimming in it um but i think that that there, there's a lot of like passive music listening like in the same way that people would listen to a podcast people just put shit on in the background yeah um and i think i think that like there's a lot of like external stimuli in our lives like mm-hmm. at least in the, the world before covid because this was this was true before covid hit yeah um it, it's really hard to like you know hone in on a record that's like got like a whole whole lot going on yeah and, like there is atmospheric music that has a whole lot going on but it's like I said, it's just like a big pool and you just go floating on a cloud. Yeah. And it's funny because Vinyl Williams, he's I mentioned him. He's one of the ones that I'm really into right now. His newest record is a little bit more like that. It, it doesn't have as many, which a lot of that could be just the way that he formulates his his songs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, you listen to his previous album, Opal, and it has a little bit more more direction with a couple of single type songs but then you get into the rest of the record and it is a little bit more just like i could play this if i have a a group of people over i could just have it in the background um which is not to say that it's not good Uh, one of my favorite bands is bonobo and they're kind of like that Mm -hmm. but in the same token if you focus in on it they're also a band that you would want to see live Mm -hmm. so i think that's i think that's the big problem with 
releasing music like that right now probably is because we can't go out anywhere to see people recreate these sonic soundscapes live. Yeah. It, it feels a little bit more like, okay, well, I'll just play it in the background and I'll not pay attention to it. One thing that's interesting, do you like Pond? Yes, I actually just started getting into them. What? The, so what? what is it about Australia? And I don't know if they're, I, I know Pond is from Perth. Yeah. Like, because that, I mean, it was Kevin Parker's old band. But yeah. Moses Gun Collective, are they from Perth? I don't know if they're from Perth, but they, I think they're from Brisbane okay. or, or Melbourne, something like that. So Moses Gun Collective is Australia. Hi is Coyote is Australia. Tame and Paula is obviously Australia. Um, who else is like another that? another super hazy neo psychedelic pop band. Uh, shoot. I, w- I was going to say Melody's Echo Chamber, but I think she's from Paris. Or No, I think she might be Australian. Is she? I, I, let's look it up. I, th- I think she's from, f- she might be from France. Let's find I don't out. know if she's from Paris you, you, specifically. You could, I actually don't know. I like. <laughs> one thing about podcasting is that you literally find out how little you know. Is, is she from France? She's from France. You're well, correct. hey, I realized how little I knew about government history. So, you know, we're yeah, good. You, like you, I swear to God, like I, I've done this three times. And I, I, I just feel like an idiot. Like when I listen to myself talk back. No, no, no. I feel I feel like an idiot. I, I'm like I felt like a major idiot when you were talking about it because I was like, I don't know how much I can contribute to this conversation right now, but I'm just gonna say something. I'm just gonna say something. I'm just gonna do it. Have Have you seen Fleabag? Mm-hmm. What is that? Oh, so it's it's a show on Amazon. Yes, I have. Yeah, that, that's that's the the British. Sh- they call her Fleabag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I so, yeah. So you remember she's like wearing her. Uh, she was about to ask her sister for some money, and she was like, "I'm just gonna ask her. I'm just gonna ask her. I'm just gonna look over and ask her." And then her her sister was like, do you need some money? No. That's <laughs> but that's how I felt when you were talking to me about politics. Yeah. I was just like, I'm just going to say something. I'm just going to say something. I um, That show, um, my roommate, like, I, I wasn't really watching. It was on in the background. But what I remember from it, they were, like, she was like, because nobody has a name. There's like, there's it's like she's Fleabag. She has, she doesn't have a name. I don't even think I know what her name is it, it, in the show because she just, she just is Fleabag. But yeah. everybody else, they start talking about her, their names. Because like she was like she had a crush on the priest, and oh the hot priest yeah. But yeah. I think like if you look at the credits, he's credited as hot priest. I I could be totally fucking wrong about he that. He might be credited that way. I feel like they talked about him at one point because remember they were gonna he was gonna marry her dad and his wife, mm-hmm. and I think they mentioned his name maybe in the first episode when he pops up. But mm-hmm. I don't think they ever talk about it again because she just refers to him as hot priest. But her sister's name was Claire. Okay. I do remember that because remember she was into that guy who was also named Claire. The only things that I, the, 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 there are two things that I saw in Fleabag. One was she went to confession and almost had sex with the priest in the confession booth. Oh, yeah, yeah, And then he, 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 he was like, oh, fuck, I'm sinning. I can't do this. Yeah. And then they were having dinner and the woman, she, she miscarried. Oh, and her sister. Yeah. And, she, and she was like and not saying something at the yeah, table. Yeah, yeah, it was I was like, damn. <laughs> and it's it's like this it's like some real dark comedy shit. Because this is like a totally fucked up situation. But and it, was, it it is, but I think it also goes to show how we were talking about how people are very complicated people. Because, yeah. you know, in the first season you find out how her friend died and, and what her role was and all of that stuff, and you realize why she's so fucked up. Mm-hmm. But it also it, it makes for great writing because I think it was very relatable in that same aspect. Mm-hmm. The second season really honed in on that very well. I'm very sad there's not a new season out. Oh, did they cancel it? Uh, I think she said she wanted to move on to something else. I don't know. It was the same thing Michaela Cole did with Chewing Gum, which made, ve- made me very sad. I don't watch any TV. Well, Chewing Gum's on Netflix. It's 
It's literally one of the best things I've ever seen. I literally all of my content consumption is like on YouTube. Oh <laughs> no, I don't like I I, I my my parents use my Netflix subscription, but like my life is like online now. Oh, I, I feel that. I I don't watch as much anymore, and I find myself getting tired. I just started binging House again because I was like, oh, let God. me. You're gonna be binging forever. Well, you know, I'm actually surprisingly in season five. I'm almost in season six. How many fucking seasons does that show have? There's eight. <laughs> It's not as bad as a graze. But I think what makes me love it so much is that even though I hate when my doctors are like this, I do <laughs> I do actually like his character because he's very complicated. But he's also very direct and funny because he, you know, going back to John Lennon and how he's very much like a, he thought he was basically God and, and how he presented himself to the world. But it's like, I think that's how House sees himself sometimes because he's just this all-knowing person who just, he knows more about medicine than you will ever know and you're not going to prove him wrong. Like, the episode I watched the other day, someone came into the, the clinic and he was asking what was wrong. And she said, yeah, my inhaler's not working. He said, can you demonstrate what's going on with it? And she just immediately starts spraying it on her like it's perfume. Mm. And it just like fast forwards to her walking out of the, the room saying that he was a jerk or whatever. <laughs> now, the house was a fucking dick. He was. but, but he, was, he, he always saved the day. He did. And he was hilarious. We got about 15 minutes left. So uh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I want to challenge you on this. All right. Now, you're, you're working on a full length. Yeah. Why do an album in 2020? Funny enough, we're talking about changing our band name, number one. Because <laughs> if you look up Basque on Spotify, there it, it's like 80-something before it finally gets to us. I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so hard for me to find Yeah, it, it's very hard. Unless you look at our, Insta- or, yeah, our Instagram page and click on the link in our bio, you're not going to find us very easily. Yeah. And I feel like... Um, my bandmate didn't think about that aspect because he's not big into social media and he's not, you know, mm-hmm. if he wants to find something, he's, he's willing to look for it. But we live in a world where people don't want to look for shit anymore. Mm-hmm. Not even with information that's presented. They don't even do research anymore. So mm-hmm. um, we're looking at ways to change our name to something else. But also um, there's so much shit that's happened this year. You know, like my my buddy, he, he's been single for a year now. He His girlfriend broke up with him and you know, he's been dealing with that along with stuff that's going on in the state of the world because he's, you know, a white cis male and all of this stuff is affecting him emotionally because he's very much an empath. And he he's somebody who grew up in Michigan and, you know, came from a little more conservative of his like his extended family is more conservative. His his parents and his sister are, are very liberal. But um, I think for him, just unlearning a lot of behaviors and stuff he's naturally already a sensitive person because, you know, being an artist, you feel more than a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just how we work and how we operate. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he wanted to make a full length, even even if it doesn't, you know, reach the masses in the way that we want it to, just being able to say that we left our mark on the world and we created something that was reflective of the times and what was going on. But um, that, and then also, I feel like now's the best time to be writing Mm-hmm. As as weird as that sounds, I mean, I don't know that we're going to be able to start cutting the record in September just because of how things have been looking with COVID and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody taking time off and, you know, not having enough PTO and all that stuff. But um, just being able to really create something and leave our emotions on the table, because who's to say what's going to happen in 2021? You know, that was a bomb ass answer. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not even going to pressure you on any. Pre- oh, because like I. You know, you know, you know, you cancel me if you want to. I just think the album as a format has jumped the shark personally. Yeah. Um, but you know, you 
if, if you really have a creative statement to make and that's your thing, like you go for that shit. Yeah. Like, f- f- fuck what I'm saying. <laughs> that's just my opinion. But like, you, and you know what? I think I think because um, like I said, I'm a, I'm a younger millennial than he is because he's 33. And um, so sometimes I don't think he always grasps grasps what I'm trying to say about mm-hmm. how this world operates now, because you know we first released two singles, which mm-hmm. was it, and we didn't want to overstimulate people. We released one single at a time, and then you know after that we were, we cut our EP, which was five songs, and it and it, it it's got some streams, but it's not anywhere near to making a dent anywhere. But right. which I think a lot of that is just because of our name. It's not a very memorable mm-hmm. band name, which you know hopefully we we work on that, but. Um, I think now is the time to have enough content out because if we do decide to change our name to something else, which I hope we do, but mm-hmm. if we change it to something else and then we market it in a different way with different visuals and I don't think we did enough um, capitalizing on things mm-hmm. because it's very cliche and we live in a capitalistic country, but sometimes you have to go with what you know. And I think too many times we tried to go with things that we didn't really know very well, but mm-hmm. I think, because, you know, me being a black queer, well, I don't like going by queer. I'll just say I'm a lesbian. But um, me being a black lesbian mm-hmm. in the South and I'm very openly gay and, you know, I want I don't want to make R&B music because mm-hmm. people don't realize music is still very segregated. Oh, heard that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's something that it doesn't even cross a lot of people's minds. But um, I think people expect someone who looks like me to make neo soul or to make alternative R&B and. I think us creating a full length to be able to say, okay, we could submit this to something and be able to jump on a bill with somebody to kind of get some traction going. Cause the more content you have these days is like the better. Yeah. So that's another thing for the album, but right. yeah, I mean, we live in such a weird time right now where it, albums don't make a statement. Um, streaming is so weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to fight the current on the technology. Yeah. If this had been five years ago, and my, like my my dad is, he'll be sixty six this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we were having some musical uh, discussion about him complaining about technology and all this shit. Yeah, and I said something to the effect of, you know, these platforms are great because they uh, they give the power of choice people to listen to what they want to listen to whereas the radio didn't yeah that's how i felt at the time except that's almost not really true because the algorithms dictate a lot of what you're exposed to and based on your listening history it just so happens that that algorithm shit happens to be shit that you like yeah um so in 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 a way it's almost like you're being strong-armed it it does feel like that and that that is one sad thing about it, it's a double-edged sword because, the, yeah. like you said, it's a great thing because you can pick what you want to listen to, mm-hmm. especially if you have a Discover Weekly playlist because then it'll start suggesting you things based on what you listen to. Yeah. Granted, sometimes it suggests things that I already know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, being able to have the ability to, to discover new things, I think it was easier w- for indie bands back when there wasn't streaming just because it was it made for more opportunity to play live because mm-hmm. people couldn't if people got tired of the radio, they would just go to a local bar and then they'd see somebody and be like, oh, okay, cool. And then, yeah. you know, if you go to um, Mercy Lounge or something, they'll have a band open for them and so on and so forth. And then you have all these festivals that started introducing people to music. So mm-hmm. it was like, I felt like festivals were the Spotify for a while yeah. or the Apple Music. But now because people l- l- love 
like streaming and learning whatever they want. Now it's like people are so technology driven mm-hmm. with selfies and showing that they're going out somewhere and letting people know they, they did something. Yeah. It's almost as if going to the festivals now is like a game of, oh, well, I did this and you didn't. I'm not I'm not crying sour grapes because yeah. like, you know, Spotify is what it is. Yeah, it, it's great and it's bad. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's. For, for, for indie bands, for bands in particular, like this, I don't think this is the case for pop or for, or for, or for hip hop or for EDM. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, this is specifically for bands that are, that make rock and roll or something that's rock and roll adjacent, you yeah. know, like, you know, dream pop and this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's done a real number on this particular segment of the music industry just because of the way that we make records mm-hmm. compared to the way that like Lil Baby would make a record. Yeah. It takes forever to make a rock record. It yeah. takes forever, and you might get to the end and not like it. And then you have to worry about somebody else not liking it, but right. you already spent the money on the record, so yeah. you're just like, oh, well, I hope it's... It is also infinitely more expensive mm-hmm. than, you know, than, than making a hip-hop record, and I'm not, and I'm not knocking it. It's just, it, yeah. it's just a reality of the technology and a reality of the music. Yeah. Um, and those two things together, the time and the money make it really, really hard to play the streaming game because just like you said, um, so much of the streaming game is content. Yeah, and, and, and it really sucks because it's like you don't want to be that person because you know as an artist how it feels mm-hmm. not to be able to, you know, get paid for your work. But it's also just the fact that, like, you have to have photographs and then you want to be cool. But then the, the cool thing now is to take vintage fo- photographs mm-hmm. and, you know what I mean, or Polaroid shots and all this stupid shit. Yeah. And not that the photos don't look great. They're they're really fucking cool. But then at the same token, you're trying to find something that makes you similar enough to people's eyes that they like want to keep looking at you and listening to you, but also different enough that they don't compare you to somebody else. There's also a real disconnect between your online presence and your presence on the streaming platforms because there you there there are plenty of people that have gotten playlisted. Yeah. And, you know, we're racking in decent streams, maybe even bringing income in. Yeah. But they don't, it doesn't necessarily translate into a fan base. Yeah. Because especially if people are listening, sorry, I spit all over that microphone. <laughs> um, if, you're, if people are listening to your music passively mm-hmm. and it, it's not grabbing them to, maybe they like it, maybe they save it, maybe they put it on, but it's not grabbing them to the point where they want to know more about you. Yeah. You're not really all that better off. Like You're happy that people are listening to your shit. Yeah. But that's no way to build a career. It's not. I mean, the only the only benefit from that is if you were to reach out, like I said, to somebody about opening up for an artist, you could show them, hey, I'm actually generating a lot of buzz on this. And mm-hmm. then you can grow your following from there. I think that that is one benefit to being able to see on Spotify where you are listened to the most, because then, you know, oh, OK, that's, you know, probably the audience or the, the city that I would do the best in. Like we had somebody, some people listening from Seattle, which when I thought about it, I was like, okay, that's probably the type of crowd we will want to be having listen to us Mm because the type of music that we want to make, that's not, there's not really a presence for that in Nashville. You know what I mean? Even for you, I think Mm -hmm. your music is very different than a lot of stuff that's being played here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is very, you know, grunge centric Mm -hmm. or it's very like pop centric or country. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get into that space of experimenting and doing different sounds, most people are only listening to that in like New York Seattle, Portland, you know, California. They're they're not listening to that in the South because they're still they still have that Bible belt mentality when it comes to Dude, music. Yeah, East man, East Coast is so weird. So many like you like a lot of your favorite bands come from like Australia or yeah, like yeah, you yeah. Know, UK or whatever. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of West Coast bands. Yeah. Um and it's weird, just like you were saying earlier, I mean the South does have a degree of charm about it. Like it's a comfortable place to live. Yeah. Um 
like I, I I couldn't imagine living in fucking Boston or, oh or New God, York. Oh my God, I hate people from Boston. Um, but you're right. <laughs> it, 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 what it means to be a musician in the Southeast mm-hmm. is very very different than like other uh, other major cities because it, it it it's really really hard. Like if you, I've, I've had so many Uber drivers and Lyft drivers like say to me like. Yo, oh, 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 what, what what kind of music you making? It's like the only kind of music that exists is pop, R and B, gospel, and rap. And yeah, that that that's like literally outside of that. They don't know what you're talking right. about. They're like, mm-hmm. well, if, if you put hiatus coyote on, it's like, well, what kind of music is this? And then you have to go, oh, well, yeah, there are things, you know, there there are subgenres, and you know, yeah. And it, and it's it's crazy because um, I was thinking about he popped into my head because we were supposed to be on a bill with him once, but R. Lamar even, mm-hmm. you know, when you think about R. Lamar, he he's a black man, a dark skinned black man with locks, mm-hmm. you know, he makes music that's a little bit more like you know synthy kind of poppy stuff. He doesn't fit into the genre here, mm-hmm. it, and and that's weird because I think the only person who's really bringing in a lot of different music like the neo soul that dis- that isn't like just straight up r&b or that isn't just straight up rap is um eric he um own, he does love noise and mm-hmm. so he brought moonchild here you know he brings tweet he brings all of these urban artists in and that if we had more people like him creating that avenue i think it would be easier because i always tell people if i did if i wasn't from nashville i don't think i would move here especially as a as a musician because it's not a musician city it's a, a session City. Yeah, it's not an artist city. It's yeah. a session city. Like you can play on some some sessions, or it's a writing kind of city. I feel a lot of this. There's a part of me that sees a bright spot in this. There's a part of me that maybe not. Like if you if you're in a band in the traditional sense, like we are, mm-hmm. you want to play shows. Yeah. Which before COVID was hard enough as it is. Yeah. It, it looks like it's only going to get harder. Yeah. And with the way that people consume music now. You could, I mean, you could, you you could, it, it, it's feasible that you could have streaming income. Like, if you're like a mid tier independent artist, like you haven't signed a label. Yeah. And maybe you have like a million monthly listeners. Yeah. If you're like a Melanie Faye or something like that. Yeah. And, and people know Shout who you are. Shout out to her, yeah, by the way. Yeah. She's a great guitarist. Because she's got playlisted several times. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, she, she, she's bringing in streams. But yeah. Like, it's, and, and she, she would probably sell out a show in Nashville. Yeah. But let's assume that she was from Atlanta. Right. Mm-hmm. Or now let's let's assume that she was from Boston. Let's assume that she's from Boston. Yeah. And she was racking up all these streams on the bedroom pop playlist or the dream pop playlist or whatever. Mm-hmm. She could, could could conceivably have income coming in mm-hmm. from the streams because she's not signed to anybody, at least right. not that I'm aware of, and not sell out a show in her own town. That yeah. is totally possible now. Oh, it, it's so possible, yeah. and it and it's crazy because I think in Boston, you when you mentioned that, I feel like a lot of people make music in Boston and it is a live music city, but I think because of Berkeley being there, I, you know, it's, it's almost got the same kind of connotation as Nashville does. Cause there mm-hmm. are so many people that for me, like my, when I went on my first date with my girlfriend, she thought that I was Nashville famous because I knew so many people when we went into Rosemary, yeah. <laughs> but it was funny because there are so many people from me being born and raised here and people that I've just met over the years that I see so frequently. Mm-hmm. And then there are some people that I see on Instagram who have these huge followings and they have like thousands upon thousands of followers and likes and, mm-hmm. you know, shares and streams and all that stuff. I have never once seen them in Nashville. And yeah. It, it look, it so st- streaming too, but, yeah. but your social media presence is very much a game of smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. It really oftentimes doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And, and I feel like those people, not that they're not great artists because they're better musicians than me. Like te- like technical musicians are way better for sure. But I just mean like back to what you said, 
who's to say that all of them would sell out shows at venues that were not just somewhere like analog that does neo soul type music or mm. just like a, a Rudy's jazz bar. They, who's to say they would even sell out at like Mercy Lounge or something like that? Whereas somebody like me, I can't even get people to come at, sp- you know, to Springwater because, you know, th- th- we have what, like 800 streams on the EP or something like that. Mm. It, it, it really is just like a content game. So it th- this, this, God, oh God, God, where to start, where to start, where to start, where to start with this? <laughs> what to you, what does it mean to be a musician in the era of, 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 of Instagram and TikTok and Spotify and YouTube? What does it mean to be a musician in this era to you? To me, it means that you you don't have any more the, the Aretha's or, you know, the Tina Turner's or the Gladys Knight's or anything like that where you have very discernible multiple hits in your catalog. You mm-hmm. know, we're not like Marvin Gaye where everybody just, everybody knows his voice. Mm-hmm. I think right now it means creating an identity, like I said earlier, that is somewhat familiar, but also ha- stands on its own ground, mm-hmm. but also being able to distinctively sound different enough that people remember your songs and to have catchy enough hooks. Mm-hmm. Because that's really hard to do in you know, the vein that we do, because sometimes the songs are not going to be commercial. They're going to be something that's a little bit more like it feels album filler because it doesn't have a, it doesn't sound like something that would be on the radio, Mm -hmm. but it's not quite album filler because it has a a big enough build in in the song to kind of stand on its own two feet. Mm -hmm. But I think the key now is to just create an identity. Yeah. Because I think outside of just the image of making people being attracted to you visually there's some people where you listen to their songs and you know instantly that it's them. Mm-hmm. Like with Temples, I know instantly that it's them because I know how James Bagshaw's voice sounds. Mm-hmm. You know, they, if Sade were to come out with a song right now, we would still know it was her <laughs> because she has a very distinct voice. Mm-hmm. You know, and even, um, I don't know if you listen to Crumb. Oh, God, I love Crumb. Yeah. Oh, God, I love him so much. Yeah, so uh, I, I don't know if her name is Lila or Layla. I don't know. I just know yeah. that song, Locket, is a fucking slap. Oh, my God. Yeah, but they that, are but, so good. But that's what I'm saying. Even if you don't know the rest of Crumb's catalog, if you they if, if you know, hear Locket, you know what it is. Y'all can play and, with them, by the way. Huh? Y'all, y'all, could play with, y'all could play with Crumb. Oh, I would love to play with yeah. them. But, but you know what I mean? Like, that's mm. exactly what I mean. It's like being like a crumb where people may not remember you visually, but that video for that song is very distinct. Mm-hmm. The song is very distinct because it stands on its own two feet. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think there's enough of that now. And as an artist, I can't say that I've even done that yet because it's just so hard to do. Yeah. I like that answer. Um, I first, The short thing is, I don't know. I feel like this is the, the, the opportunity is there for you to make your own way that I, I, I really do believe in. And that's, yeah. that, 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 that's uplifting to me. Yeah. I struggle with the idea that, and I don't think this was intentional. I just think it's just the reality of the medium. I think that streaming has kind of cheapened music in a way. Oh, yeah. Cause, and, and I'm not, again, not crying sour grapes about it. It is what it is. Yeah. I'm still going to keep doing what I do in spite of that. It's mm-hmm. just that, you know, the, when, when somebody is the, like the end consumer, the listener, you know, whoever's listening to your record, like to them, 90% of the time it's just a song. Now, there will be those songs that like mean something really, really deep to a person. Yeah. But they, they, they don't understand how much time and energy and capital, money, went into making that record mm-hmm. for it, you know, to kind of get lost in, like, the digital ether. Yeah. And, again, you know, you, you, you're, you're, if you really want to make it, you're going to make it. You're going put to put it out there, and you're, gonna, you're not really going to care that much. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the issue of it is is just, like, there's so much of it now. And 
for somebody that is not just like invested in music as 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 an art form and as a culture, it just ends up being background noise to them. Which yeah, kind of sucks. And but like, I think I think some of that to to your point is what social what streaming platforms and even social media has done is done is overstimulate us. Mm-hmm. I think that's why you see a lot less of people reading mm-hmm. nowadays because they're so overwhelmed by what they're seeing visually. They're so overwhelmed by what they're hearing yeah. that when it comes time to like sit down and look at something and, and it's just words, there's no imagery with it. Mm-hmm. We're so used to, cause even songs create with the soundscapes, they create some kind of picture in your head. Like yeah. you imagine what you think it would sound like live or you imagine them playing it as you're hearing it with books it's a little bit harder because you're having to just have no noise if, you, if you're somebody who can't read with music going on mm-hmm. and you're just looking still at, at pages and just keep going. That's, that's it. Because I've noticed with my girlfriend, she's somebody who doesn't get overstimulated very easily, but she also loves to read a lot. Whereas I get overstimulated, but I love visuals and I love audio. So it's just, I think that's where the disconnect is with all of this oversaturation of music. There's just so much content yeah. There's not enough consumers for all of the content that's actually out there. It's like the one the, on the one foot, it's presented an opportunity for people who would have otherwise not been able to get their music out there. Because Agreed. if you're somebody who's independent, it's it's very hard. Unless you're going to Lightning 100, it's still very hard to get your music played even on Lightning 100, mm-hmm. you know, a radio station. Mm-hmm. But when you get on those social media, I mean, uh, the streaming and the social media it makes it easier for you to control the content mm-hmm. and then put it out as frequently or not frequently as you want to do it. Would agree. You know what I mean? So it's like there's this double-edged sword behind it. So maybe we pay an opportunity cost for autonomy then. Maybe we now have the power and the agency to do what we want to do. Yeah. Um, and what you sacrifice is potentially visibility. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think I'll take that compromise. Like, you, if you, 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 cranking that, you, you crank enough shit out. Yeah. I mean, and you just keep doing it. I mean, You'll, fucking currency. Yeah, he's was he on like album like the rapper two hundred. Yeah, that motherfucker still rapping. Yeah, he makes like eight million albums a year, and I'm just like, I don't even know any of your songs. Yeah, like you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't either. Um, but he just has so much content. You know, like yeah, but and that like I and I, I I wish I had phrased it differently in the last episode of the podcast, but I was kind of like I, I I'm paraphrasing, but basically what I said was. Quality is subjective, but quantity wins. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what I said, but that's basically what I said. Yeah, and it's kind of like with, like with the streaming platform, for example. Mm-hmm. How many tracks are going to be on your full length? Uh, we don't know yet. Maybe like twelve album, like twelve songs with lyrics, like full flesh songs, some interludes in between. So the theoretical concept. I'm not recommending this. I'm just 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 gonna like paint a mental picture for you. Yeah. Let's say for the sake of argument that you. You, 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 you did the whole single release thing 12 times over the year or maybe eight times out of the year because that'll give you enough time to do the whole Spotify playlist pitch thing. Yeah. Maybe pitch to a few independent playlists. Mm-hmm. Let's assume that for that entire year, nothing happens. Yeah. That music is still there. Yeah. And if you get enough of it, like, you know, but if, 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 in, if in three years you have 40-something songs on Spotify, some shit will happen. Yeah. You know, um, now, is is that ideal? No, not necessarily. No, it's not. Because then, you're, um, like you said, your quality starts to suffer because you're just trying to put out enough content to have something be looked at. Yeah, it could be. I, I think there, there's some people that can just crank a bunch of shit out. Um, Babyface. <laughs> you wrote a lot of hits. But you know, it's like, why can't all of us be a babyface? Because he knows how to write album filler, but he also knows how to write songs that are going to be hit songs. Like, that's something that not a lot of people have. I think that everybody can be babyface. I think that, at least in my opinion, the hardest part about like 
being somebody like we talked a lot about a lot about John Mayer last episode too. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of, but that motherfucker write a lot of shit. Yeah. Um, is just to keep doing it and not judging yourself. That's what my therapist was saying. Cause I told him in the grand scheme of writing this album, I didn't feel good about the stuff I was writing. Cause I just kept looking at it thinking, man, this, I don't know how, how I like this. This is going to look sound right on the album. He said, are you okay with being just an okay, mediocre writer? And I was like, uh, like you have to allow yourself the space to be mediocre before you get to the point where your thought processes. Cause you know, I feel like the Beatles is the theme of this episode. <laughs> Beatles have come up a lot. Yeah, they have come up a lot because, you know, even though I don't really, like I said, there are some Beatles songs that I, I actually do really love, but um, I think the one thing about them is they probably just kept writing, even if the shit didn't sound like it would be great. Cause you know, George R. Martin probably heard some of the songs, like even Eleanor Rigby mm-hmm. from the demo tracks didn't sound like it was going to be that great of a song. And then you listen to the final version mm-hmm. and you're just like, okay, that's why you keep writing. And even Mac Ayers said this, um, like last year or the year before somebody was, somebody asked him how he, how he gets over writer's block. And he said, just write, you write enough stuff and it, and it keeps going. I think one thing that helps too, is being more organic with it. I think we've gotten so digitized with everything. Cause I keep writing things in my laptop mm-hmm. instead of just going and getting a notebook and then writing everything by hand. It was so much easier and things had a little bit more structure when I wrote them in a notebook and because I've gotten away from that, it's sometimes the songs, it feels like they're messier because I'm just looking at them on a, a blank post-it looking thing instead of with some lines. The lines create that structure for you. Mm-hmm. Amen. It's, 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 it really is your jump shots. Yeah. And I think that that's the, 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 most, the simplest solution that there could be mm-hmm. and maybe the hardest thing to do. Because you, 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 you want to feel great about what you're creating. Yeah. But uh-huh. sometimes with that, though, because... I, th- I think we want to jump so heavy into creating the content we want to make. But in order to get to that point, you have to kind of fumble along the way to figure out what sounds work, what stuff works for your sound and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Cause I figured that out even with guitar pedals. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there were times where I just had reverb and delay and that was all I had. And then I realized, man, the music I really want to make has, you know, modulation and effects and they have phase and wah. And, you know, I couldn't figure out where that fit when we were in era because I I wasn't really experimenting with stuff like that. And now that we've gotten into more, more things sonically, it's just like, man, this is what I needed to be doing. And so you kind of go through that trial and error and on the process. Cause you know, the first two singles up until this EP are perfect examples of that. But Mm -hmm. hell yeah. Um, I, don't, I think we did the thing today, yeah. Mac. Uh, <laughs> this is the longest that we've ever talked. Like we said hi and bye a couple of times oh, and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, I, I didn't really. I, I expected to talk about the record, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, I expected you to be really, really nice. But um, <laughs> I think that you've been very, very insightful. Oh, um, thanks, man. So have you. Oh, thank you. I'm glad I got, you asked me to do this because, like you said, we have only said the high and buy stuff. And now I'm, I feel like, okay, he's somebody I would hang out with. Like, yeah. just chill. And we will have to hang. Yeah, And we hopefully will. we get to do a show together yeah. um, very, very soon. Absolutely. Hopefully we can collaborate on something. Yeah. Yeah. I would like that. Yeah. Because it sounds like we like a lot of the same stuff, yeah, too. Yeah, we do. Um, but this is this is where we're going to go ahead and call it. All right. Um, thank you for coming. Before we go, um, mm-hmm. the... What's the Basque Instagram, if there is one? Uh, right now, it's just Basque Sounds, so B A S K Sounds. I'm gonna put it in the. I'll put it in the the Spotify thing, and I'll like I said, I'm gonna do some nice social media stuff so yeah. people can find it and whatnot. I really want people to hear the music that you made, and obviously, I'm you know, 
I'm, 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 I, my platform is about as big as yours is, but they're different. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you probably yeah. have people that interact with you a little bit more. I think for me, people see my social media, and I don't know what it is about me, but like even some guy yesterday in the grocery store said something to me when I walked out, and he was like, "Your energy is just like it took over the whole store." And I'll not not to like you know fluff my head up, but I feel like sometimes no. people look at me and assume I'm a certain way. I don't I know. Just, if, yeah, I, th- I think you have a magnetic presence about you. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I I I'd say that you're approachable. Okay, because pe- some people have told me that I'm not, a, or that they're afraid to approach me. Like, people will have seen me out at QDP or something, and they'll shout out to Lara Taylor, my friend, who DJs at QDP. It's great, queer space. But, um, she, yeah, people have, like, messaged me saying that they saw me at QDP, and they were too afraid to say hi. And I'm okay. just like, what? I have never felt that way, but that's just me. <laughs> that's just me, though. Um, yeah. Um, th- th- does the EP have a name? No, I think it just is Basque. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. look, stream Basque. Um, I'm going to put all this stuff on my social media so you can find it. Um, yeah, listen to this you. record. It's really, really good. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, Nancy's Dream is just so good. That song is so good. Thank you. I'm gl- really glad you enjoyed that. All right. Well, until next week, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.